Film School. Today we're going to be talking about Prometheus, the Ridley Scott prequel to Alien, which some people, he argues it's not a prequel. It's so... It's It happens before yes. the Alien movie, and true. it's set in the same universe. But the thing that's annoying is that it's not a direct prequel. Like, the ship that they explore in Prometheus is not the same ship from Alien. Right. And... Watch it if you only watch those two movies, unless you watch them very closely, there's no way to know that. Like, one is on asteroid 4236 and one is on 4277 or something. Yeah. I didn't, it's been a, a year since I've seen Alien. Like, I watched the movie a lot, but even I didn't notice that and I had to have some internet nerd explain that to me. And that's confusing. Like, oh, I'm probably that internet nerd. <laughs> I haven't seen it in like 10 years, but I noticed that, uh, spoiler alert's coming here, by the way. End of the movie, <laughs> the ship's going to take off. To go to Earth for some inexplicable reason. We'll get to that. But uh, they ram Prometheus into it. And I'm like, oh, now it's going to be wounded and only make it to the next asteroid. And that's where they're going to find an alien. No, it comes crashing right back down. And then the Titan, uh, you know, engineer guy, is just pissed at Numi Rapace for some reason. And comes out to kill her. I'm like, how's sort of it gonna... like the end of Alien. Yeah, it's very just modeling the end of Alien. I'm like, you just have to have anytime there's an escape pod, it's like, <laughs> no, we're go- This is not safe haven. This is where we're going to fight. Uh, he comes after her, and I'm like, how's he gonna get back in the chair to be found? Even if this isn't, it didn't look like the right climate for you know the asteroid that they're mining and etc. I'm like, maybe, I guess it's a different season, so it's always night when Ripley and them show up. I don't know. But he doesn't even get back in the chair, and I'm like, this isn't even the same asteroid, is it? And I had to look it up, I'm like, no! And yeah, if you watch the movie, it's LV-422 instead of 226 or something like that. And I like, refuse to look up the number. I'm not I, that much I don't care either, but I'm like, so where does the one in Alien come from? They just have, it's like, oh yeah, no, you, you rammed into that guy, but there's like 12 more on this planet. Someone was going to make it there eventually. I mean, somebody else got chest bursted halfway there, and uh, it just wasn't clear. Yeah, it, this movie was written by Damon Lindelof. Now, he, he co-wrote it with some guy named John Space, but from every interview I've heard, I don't feel like this Space guy Did has worked on it in the last, like, two years. So, like, he wrote the first draft, and then Lindelof came in and, like, redid everything. But they have weird WGA rules about... You have to rewrite 66% of it or something to take off the first guy's name. It's, it's crazy rules. And, like, Lindelof will never say, oh, I rewrote the thing from page one because he's not an asshole. But, like, when you watch it, he was the guy who created Lost. And I watched every single episode of Lost religiously. It definitely feels like it's his script. Um, and one thing about that show is that he liked to create mysteries and then just sort of... Not answer them. Yeah. yeah. And, and this movie seemed like one one created mystery after another. And, you know, he's like, oh, we'll make sequels and ask more questions and not actually answer anything from the first movie. No, and I didn't watch a single episode of Lost <laughs> because, A, uh, early on, I was like, this seems like a big time commitment. I'm not... I don't have time for this. And then, B, to hear all the people like, oh, there's so many things. I'm like, that sounds obnoxious as crap. To have so many just random tangents and storylines. and But it, the numbers are the same as the lottery ticket and the airplane. And I'm like, what does that mean? Oh, I don't know. And they never, <laughs> like as far as I can have heard, answer any of those. And yes, it does actually, now that you pointed out, seem a lot like this <laughs> movie. 
so that pissed me off now a little more. Thank you. I liked the movie. <laughs> I, I liked the movie and thought it had some serious problems. But now uh, I'm... I, I overall enjoyed it. It looked great, which all Ridley Scott movies do. And it's sort of... I actually sort of felt like it was similar to 2001 in that it was very obtuse about like what it all means. But 2001 was sort of obvious in how obtuse it was. Like Nobody right. goes into 2001 expecting a cool sci-fi summer spectacle. And, and so no one's disappointed when, when, it's, when it's not all cleared up at the end. Right, and 2001 is closer to an art film of, right. you know what, it's an abstract painting. You can draw your own conclusions and things. This was not that far out there, and it probably wouldn't have been a good idea to make it that way, especially from being in the Aliens franchise. Uh, <laughs> And I think that some elements of it were a lot more commercial than that. It does open with very, I thought, of 2001, even when he goes beyond space and time, like the when we're flying over Iceland with the opening shots and the credits. Those were just stunning visuals, and I think the movie was pretty as hell. Did you see it in 3D, by the way? No, I skipped on the 3D and IMAX. I, first of all... At the Universal City IMAX 3D, 1750 for a ticket. For one That's person. That's why I skipped. At um, one in the afternoon. Like, I didn't go on Friday night. Like, it was ridiculous. Uh, but those shots in 3D on a five-story screen, it was like an amusement park ride. Yeah, I watched those opening. I'm like, this might have been worth the, the price for 3D and uh, IMAX. But you know, Although there's a, there's a little bit of excess right at the beginning when I was looking at the the, the Fox logo comes up, the little R with the circle around it was popping out nice. of the screen. I was like, really, Fox? Do you have to do that? You need to know that the rights are restricted. <laughs> In three dimensions. Yeah. All three dimensions of the rights are restricted. <laughs> no trying to go back around the backside. Record the backside yeah, of the screen? exactly. Yeah. Despite the 1750, it was actually, I sort of felt like it was worth it. It was a long movie, like, so you sort of got your money's worth that it was two and a half hours. And they really used the 3D, and even if there were parts of the story that were confusing, I still enjoyed it. All the way through. Yeah, I will say also I enjoyed it, um, and the parts that were good were very good, like the visuals. Uh, I thought Michael Fassbender's acting was spot on and pretty awesome. He's quickly becoming one of my favorite actors working right now. I think we discussed this on another podcast, but I had never heard of him like a year ago. Yeah, and suddenly he's he in came every out movie of I've nowhere uh, five years ago or something. Uh, Inglorious Bastards was the first time I went. Who's that dapper British gentleman? And since then, he's been in three movies a year. Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised there's no Nazis in Prometheus, because every Michael Fassbender <laughs> movie I've seen had a Nazi in one way or another. That's true. Well, to discuss some of the problems I had with it, we'd have to go through the storyline. Um, so starting at the beginning of time, <laughs> uh, we see all those shots of Iceland flying over and just huge waterfalls churning rock. And it's, again, just impressive in a like Koyaanisqatsi way of just watching the marvels of Earth. I was like, I might be able to watch this for a good, you know, first ten minutes or something. But that we eventually see a very large, muscular man in a robe. Although, because he has human dimensions, I did not process that he was taller than normal. Like, he seemed like a person with makeup, and I was like, okay. And I, he was sort of alien. I didn't get that he was eight feet tall. I thought he was very ubermensch, you know, uh, ripped and everything, so I was like... Sure, he might be bigger, you know, but uh, yeah, I didn't read eight feet tall, maybe six foot eight or something like that, but I don't think it was important for that scene. Uh, but he opens a uh, vial 
of stuff and drinks it. Uh, it looks like a palmade canister. And uh, he starts breaking down. Well, before that, we actually see the ship that he arrives oh, on, right. which is not one of the you, you know, horseshoe-shaped shape, yeah. Yeah, ones that we saw. So that's another thing that's never like brought up again is like, oh, this is a different kind of ship. And I don't know if there's... Ha- you don't get a sense of the scale of that ship. I don't know if it's a giant continent-sized ship or if it's you know a little flying you know one person flying saucer because it's just in the clouds. I would say it's pretty and, big. But again, is it larger than the horseshoe-shaped ones? Like, why is that important? I I just want to understand it. Like, why is it a different ship at all? Oh, okay. Like, if it wasn't it, just the fact that they made a different ship, like there must be some significance to right. this it, ship being something special. This could be the cedar ships that drop off the guys who drank the, the right. stuff. In which case, the other ones are the the weapons ships. Right. So. I don't know. It just, it, I just classified him for you. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's set in stone. Okay, fine. But I feel like the scope of, of the cedar ship is, would make me understand it a little bit better. Okay. I don't know. What Maybe we should have seen a pod coming out and dropping him off and hand-holding, explaining, right? Is that what you're looking for? Yes. Uh, speaking of, we talked about 2001 Space Odyssey, which this is similar in storyline, too. They're trying to find the origins of man and everything like that. If you read the books for 2001 and anything that's they find the monolith on the moon and they have they then go find it it lets out a big signal and they track the signal to where it goes and that's where he goes to find uh is essentially where humans began because there's these monoliths that uh appear at human evolutionary points and so they now are like hey you've made it the, at first it was monkeys, and we learned to use tools after touching it. Then we uh, got space travel. It was on the moon, so we could go, hey! It's like a, a test of, you know, the aliens left behind of, hey, you made it this far. Now you're ready to come find us. So that's the storyline, essentially, that's supposed to be in 2001. And then there's pretty flashing colors and everything. <laughs> and you can make up your own story in between because it's Stanley Kubrick. There was a terrible movie called Mission to Mars... Oh, God. From, like, 99 it's or 2001. the Palma, who he always does He's sort of the shitty version of artist. every ounce. Yeah. He, he is the, oh, he calls it postmodern of, oh, I'm pastiching. No, he hung out with, like, uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Stanley Kubrick and people in the 60s and 70s, and everything they would make, he'd be like, oh, I could make, I want to rip something off like that. And he'd make Godfather and take Al Pacino and go, hey, Scarface, and it's a lot more violent. Or, you know, just he was remaking the movie Scarface anyway. But he can't make a movie that's not a remake. He's a terrible person. <laughs> I, uh, but still, Mission to Mars was even his worst movie I think I've ever seen. It was literally should have been an idiot's guide to 2001. Should have been the yellow like poster for it. Because it was the exact same storyline that 2001 was supposed to get across. But left open to interpretation. Where this spoon fed you, Don Cheadle or whoever, going, Look, this rock on Mars has a dome in it and we go inside it shows where people a uh, spaceship came and dropped us off I think those are literally the lines so terrible movie sadly this felt uh, closer to that than 2001 I, I honestly don't feel like it was that bad because I didn't understand anything at the end of this okay. movie so, so I feel like it was not quite as hand as it could have been so for instance we see this alien at the beginning he drinks the uh, black goo and then he seems surprised that he starts to disintegrate, which... I think even if you build yourself up for being the suicide bomber, the first instance that you're... Uh, maybe that's not the best, uh, right. most tactful. But even if you sign yourself up to be a martyr, once the, the fires start burning at your feet on the stake, you're like, you know what? This still hurts. So I think he 
maybe just had steeled himself for it, but still gut-wrenching pain of all your cells breaking apart at once. That's true, except that at this point in the story, we don't know anything about what the fuck is going on. And so we don't know what that surprise... Like, we... Like, it could have been, like, at, the, at that point in the story when you're watching it, it could have just been that they dropped him off and they're like, here, drink this, and he didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. Which is probably not the case, but, like, at that point in the story, his surprise is confusing. Yeah, I didn't read too much into it because I was still waiting to see, and I was like, where's this going? And he starts breaking down and, like, his knees break off at the shin and yeah. looks very painful, and he's alive the whole time, the whole way down. Falls into a waterfall. Then it zooms in on his cells, and there, again, his DNA is breaking apart and recombining and splintering, and then it forms into cells and then divides into cells, and then the letters start coming up for Prometheus. I'm like, oh, those are cells. He just created life on Earth. Because then I thought, hey, we didn't see anything teeming in those waters, and I don't know that we even saw plants coming in. It was rocks and water churning them. And I'm like, so... He just created, I guess, organisms. Uh, this is all going to splinter off, and eventually a fish will crawl out of water and turn into us. So then the title comes up, and uh, I think then we're in, inside a cave as Numi Rapace uh, axe breaks the daylight through so we can see. And uh, then we, she comes in and calls for another doctor, and her boyfriend comes running up. And they find the old 3,500-year-old uh, cave painting... Yeah, and then the, here's where some of the dialogue is a little on the nose. This is what, what you were talking about, where they sort of spell it out sometimes. He comes in and he sees the five dots or whatever, and he says, it's the same configuration. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's why she brought you in here. You don't yeah, actually need to... She saw it first. <laughs> that's what's going on. Like, it's, it's, that, it's that point when a character says something to another character that that first character clearly knows already. It, yeah, it tries it's for the you. audience's benefit. Yeah. And I like, I saw the trailer, so I kind of knew that, that was that was like what was happening. But like, it's also they're going to explain it to the crew in about fifteen minutes when we get to that scene. So just Show smile and like, the camera zooms in on the five dots, and we're like, okay, that's significant in some way. They'll Hopefully, explain they'll later. explain yeah. it eventually. Like, uh, I mean, I'm sure that that's some studio executive being like, let's make sure the audience understands. But and it's probably not Ridley Scott or Damon Lindelof, but. It's still like, how did that end up in the movie? Why why is dialogue like that ever exist? Executives. So from there, we jump forward. That was in 2089. We jump forward uh, five years, I believe, to 2094. And we're on the, the ship Prometheus. And it, we get a, more of an alien intro with the ship. And uh, it says Crew 17. Yeah. And uh, we, we miles, for, kilometers from Earth. 36 times 10 to the 14. Yeah, I wanted to, I sort of wanted to look up how far they had gone and if they had faster than light travel, and then I realized that I didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I do, so, I'm sort of curious as to how hard the hard science is in this, in this series. Um, Supposedly they had technical consultants who were physicists and oh, astro. Yeah, uh, it's from what, what I've heard third hand of people who have read things. <laughs> I also did not want to look up a lot for this. Uh, but yeah, it's it's weird when they give you that information that doesn't actually mean anything to you. Like that many, It's a lot. That's yeah, what you are supposed to get out That's a large of distance, but I don't know how impressive that is right. if they have, you know... They're using powers of 10, so it, there's <laughs> math involved... <clears throat> Uh, yeah. So then, like you said, like Alien, we have the shots of the empty ship, except there's one dude walking around. Michael Fassbender. 
And he's walking like he's auditioning for the Ministry of Silly Walks, but not like really committed to it yet. Uh, but it's really like the, as I saw him walking around sort of weirdly and stiffly, it, it reminded me of Mark Ruffalo in The Avengers, where he kept rubbing his hands together to show that he was nervous and it annoyed the crap out of me. At first, I was like, oh, is this going to be stupid? But his after, business. Yeah. But after a while, you realize that his entire, everything he did was slightly weird and awkward. And it was a very complex uh, choice of, here's how a robot who doesn't understand natural movement would be programmed to translate something that looks close but doesn't quite get it. And the walk at first stood out. And then eventually, when I realized it consumed his entire performance... It was still a funny walk, but like it fit with everything else. And uh, I realized how committed he had to have been to get that robot uh, nature. Yeah, I think that, again, Michael Fassbender is the highlight of this movie. And those first few scenes just open up with it. It says, hey, he's going to do this. And like you said, it's a little awkward maybe in the beginning to see him walking or uh, going around the ship or cleaning up. Because it reads as robot, first off, uh, pretty quickly. And I was like, oh, he's the robot in this movie. Because alien movies always have to have a robot. Which uh, is weird. In the first one, they hid the fact that uh, Bilbo e- Baggins e- was... Home. Yeah, Bilbo Baggins. Okay. <laughs> well, they, they hid the fact that he was an alien from the crew. Because he was right. asleep in the hypersleep bed or whatever. So, like, I took that to mean people weren't comfortable with robots. And it was like a new thing. So, they, why uh, are they okay with Michael Fassbender? It... It was confusing to me. Like It's explained in this movie a little bit because even Michael Fassbender says, I'm made this way because your kind uh, doesn't... Uh, it feels uncomfortable or feels more comfortable when I'm close to human. Hence, I wear the helmet. Um, and so he... And also, he's the first one. Michael Fassbender is the prototype that Waylon made as a son because he didn't have a son. So this is the first... Uh, Lance Henriksen slash Ian Holm, you know, model, and they're eventually going to make them, and, you know, apparently people will not like them even uh, once they get more human and completely pass for them because maybe they took our jobs or something, so they're going to start just hiding them from them. And then by aliens, they're okay with it again. Like, Ripley's the only one who has a problem with him in the second one. For Lance Henriksen. And he turns out to be a good guy. There you go. Completely... Uh, saving our opinions of robots. Honestly, as I look into the whole, just since we were talking about the other alien movies, I really feel like Prometheus sort of completes an alien trilogy, and we can just forget that Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, the Alien vs. Predators, I think there's two of them. Yeah. We can just forget that they ever happened. (laughs) I would like to do that, but I feel like it also saves Prometheus for as many problems as I had. I can say, at least it's not Resurrection. (laughs) Like, you're like, good job, because this is fitting for, you know... And it's not like it's held together as this sacrosanct, like, property that, you know, has never been changed. Because Alien 1 was a very small-scale, like, sci-fi horror. It was definitely a pure horror movie. Yeah. And then Alien, Aliens, James Cameron came and said, now we're going to shoot stuff. And, it's gonna, <laughs> you know, he brought, like, Terminator-level uh, action to it. There was, like, one scary scene in that whole movie. The rest of it was, a, it was practically a war movie. Yeah. And so it's like, well, this is a different genre. And then... Uh, Three goes male prison, you know, they... Which kind of... Like I brought up with David Venture before, he's so focused on men and male relationships, he takes the one strong female action hero and puts her in a prison full of men. Yeah, and makes her shave her head. Right. So, uh, yeah. 
but then, and then 4 just went to crazy town. <laughs> I don't know uh, what happened. The it, weird thing is about 4, written by Joss Whedon, one, one of my favorite writers, yeah. directed by Jean-Pierre Junet, who I hate French directors, the only two exceptions are him and Luc Besson. And what is, what it happened? Was, <laughs> it, was, it was terrible, and yet... Uh, it did some things that I think Prometheus really whiffed on, and I'll get to those in a little bit. Okay, so uh, let's... Meanwhile, meanwhile, back in the plot. Right. Uh, Michael Fassbender riding around on a bicycle, making hook shots with one hand without looking, reading as an alien, or reading as a robot. So I'm like, okay, we're establishing he's a robot. Then he starts watching Lawrence of Arabia and quoting lines back to it and bleaching his roots, to, and he's making his hair to look... And I was like... Robots need to bleach their hair? Uh, seems to have a man crush on Peter O'Toole here. Uh, how is that a robot thing? So it early on said to me, he's a robot, but he's not your average robot because there's a little crazy stuff going on. <laughs> uh, so those were the things that I really thought his performance uh, encapsulated very well was both the robot nature like you talked about, but then going a little further beyond that and not just doing mechanical, but doing something slightly off and you could read it in the eyes and his delivery um and because he has no dialogue in that first part it's almost pure performance and direction and it works really well like there's not a person who wouldn't understand what's going on in those sequences that he's a robot who doesn't have the capacity to feel lonely but he's still lonely yeah <laughs> and that was one thing that uh, i started to wonder is i'm like wow how long has he been tending to these people and I'm like, wait, it's only been five years since the cave discovery. And uh, he seems like he's going crazy with, you know, mining the ship. Um, but then I'm like, they say it's, so they've only been asleep two years. I'm like, no, he might just be crazy. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. If I was walking around a ship for two years by myself. I'm he's like a, a robot. I don't know if I could make it like two weeks to walk around the ship. Have you seen Moon? That's another oh, yeah. <laughs> space movie. Um, but... Uh, so his performance, you were saying there was very little dialogue. The little dialogue there is is him quoting Lawrence of Arabia lines, uh, trying to emulate them, where he puts out the match with his fingers and said, the difference is uh, not minding that it hurts. And he's practicing that um, in a creepy way that reminded me a lot of uh, Matt Damon in Talented Mr. Ripley, when he's doing Jude Law's lines and saying, you like everybody, and trying to sound like Jude Law, who is Britishy. Uh, so, and then the other Jude Law reference that I thought of in the middle of this was his alien, or, uh, Michael Fassbender's robot performance reminded me a lot of Gigolo Joe in AI, played by Jude Law, who was another robot, and I'm going to tick my head sideways and <laughs> walk, uh, differently and have plastered hair. I think it was actually plastic on, applique on his head. Which is not a bad thing, because that was the only good thing in AI, which was a god-awful movie. Unlike you, I love Spielberg, which is why I've never seen AI, because yeah. I don't want to tarnish... Don't. It should have been called The Adventures of Gigolo Joe in Rouge City, and then you would have had a movie on your hands, because <laughs> Jude Law was kick-ass in that movie. And so Michael Fassbender uh, brought a lot of that to my mind, uh, just with a few shots. Uh, he then eventually gets around to going to the cryopods and uh, tending to some people. We did see him with a, like... Daft Punk style visor helmet talking to someone in the middle of it and practicing some languages. We also see him listening in on someone's dreams. On it was, yeah, it was Numi Rapace. Rapace. 
And that I was like, why? Why do they even allow that to happen? Why is that a thing? <laughs> like, like there is no way where that's okay. Where, like, I'm sure it's a, a box that they checked on their employment agreement that was way at the back of 300 pages. Like, also, we can look at your dreams. I mean, like, does this does the sleep thing have like a rape tube as well? Yeah. Like, there's no legitimate purpose for this. Well, it is newly replaced, so I think it <laughs> had to have one. <laughs> that's pretty disturbing. Um, but. Okay. So, <laughs> yes, it is disturbing. Uh, and it just gives us further insight into how disturbing of a robot he is. At first, I thought it was part of his official capacity. And it's like, I guess he's checking up on them somehow, but he's a robot, so he's just going to store this data. No, it just turns out he has messed all kinds of up. And <laughs> he's going to bring it up at the most inopportune, t- uh, inappropriate times. He's going to use it to try and just dick with you. Because he is jealous of your humanity. I don't know what's going on, but it's fascinating. Yeah. So, uh, eventually he uh, is walking around and the ship alerts him that you've reached your destination or something. They have Garmin. Uh, And (laughs) he goes to find uh, some wet footprints and follows them in. And Charlize Theron is uh, doing push-ups in Lilu Dallas-style bandages. Um, And she's all militaristic and is like, robe, and he's at her beck and call. And he, she's like, how many fatalities are there? And he's like, none, mum. And she's like, well, then wake them up. And she clearly doesn't like him. But it introed this as like, wow, we're going to be on a tight-run ship here if uh, this is the she's in charge of it. While she's doing the push-ups, I should note, when there's a front-on shot, she's doing full-on, like, nose-to-the-ground marine-style push-ups. And then when they cut to, like, a wide shot where you can see Michael Fassbender in the same shot, she's doing, like... Girly, she girly, girly like her elbow, like your football coach would come up and kick you if you were doing that at, at practice. Like, I was, I was like, either one of them, I'd sort of accept. You know, it, the girly ones, I'd sort of be like, eh, she doesn't care and is tired on set or whatever. But like the fact that they they went from one to the other and then back again, I was like, they don't. Did anybody notice that they're not the same kind of push-ups? Did they not realize? And it, it's, uh, I've I've heard. Ridley Scott interviewed or, like, listened to commentary tracks and things like that. And he's very big on, like, whatever the performance is sort of beats the continuity. continuity. And, I mean... You disagree. Th- there, well, no. I mean, there, there's something to be said for that. But there's also something to be said for when you're shooting it on the day, someone should notice that she's not going all the way to the floor in the wide shot. Like, it's possible... I mean, from her perspective, she doesn't even know... There's a, She knows there's a camera off to her right, but she doesn't know if she's in the shot or if it's a long lens that's just on Michael Fassbender. Like, someone needs to tell her, do the same kind of push-ups. And the way movie... As slow as movies go when they, when they shoot a scene, like, that one-and-a-half-page scene probably took two days to shoot. Like, she had time to rest between setups to be able to do the push-ups again. Maybe Charlie Saren is terrible to work with, and she's like... <laughs> You want me to do what? And then back in the trailer, it's like, oh, crap. Who said something to her? So, hey, <laughs> she's getting up there in years. Push-ups are hard. I don't know. Okay. It, 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 it's just, it was just a, a weird distraction. And again, this probably goes back to, I'm watching three dimensions at five stories tall. I was going to say, I did not notice the push-up inconsistency It was a massive difference. It, like, it, it, it was, was, yes, for you, it was 18 feet tall yeah, it push-ups. Was, it was the difference between, like, she did five feet push-ups and then 18 foot push-ups, and I could really see it. But it, 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 but it goes to his, like, he gets a lot, Ridley Scott gets a lot of credit for his attention to detail, but it's really, he has great design, but the cinematic details are sometimes not quite there. Um, 
And, uh, I mean, that's one instance that I could point out in this movie after seeing it once. Let's try and think of some more <laughs> later in the plot. He finally wakes everyone up, and we see them all vomiting and recovering from the, uh, the sleep sickness and stuff. Then we see them all getting food, and they have to hydrate and everything. And uh, the guy from Luther from the BBC show, uh, even Idris? Idris Elba. Idris Elba. He is Stringer Bell in the hearts and minds of everyone who has ever seen The Wire. Okay. (laughs) Sure thing. Have not caught it yet. Anyway, uh, he's smoking a cigar and making a Christmas tree on the pool table. And they're walking around, and I'm like, that's a quite a stark contrast from what Charlize Theron, we saw her. She comes over in like a crisp press suit uh, thing, is like, briefing in ten minutes. And he's like, eh, whatever, it's Christmas. I'm the captain. And well, like, he does say what? Christmas holidays are a way of making sure that we know time continues on, since we're on this ever-present ship. Right. So that's something. That's something he says while he's smoking a cigar <laughs> in an oxygen-enriched environment with a trucker cap on sideways. <laughs> and she's telling, and he's talking back to her. I'm like, we just, she was doing push-ups. She seemed like she was in charge. This guy's talking back to her, like the second line we have, you know, from the anyone. Uh, where's the leadership coming from here? So that was the first clue that I'm like, well, this is awkward or odd. So they, uh, they go down and have the briefing at which point she uh, activates a, a 3D screen on the basketball court that uh, the head of the company comes out and he's all old and says, Hey, I'm the head of the company. I employed you. I was having the darndest time trying to figure out who this was under all this makeup. I'm like, I know this person. I didn't even try. <laughs> I was like, the voice sounds like John Hurt, but like trying to do an Al Pacino Southern accent. And uh, I was like, that's weird. Uh, so, yeah, I gave up after a little while because he's only there for five minutes or something, and then he pitches it over to uh, Numi Rapace and her husband, who are the archaeologists we saw in the cave. And they pull out a Rubik's Cube to show uh, the stars align on those the configuration matches, which, like you said, we could have waited till now to hear. Uh, so they point out that, oh, Sumerians, the Native Americans, the ancient Celts, like, they all had these images and they all show a giant man pointing towards the same configuration of stars They're like but they didn't have telescopes what could it be we finally found it it's these stars and there's an earth-like planet and then uh they're like that's where we just arrived this morning and that's like oh wow that's crazy how would they have known this and then numi rapace comes in to say we think the tall man you know or is like a master race and uh came to our earth first and we call them engineers and someone says what they engineer and then she says us and that was in the trailer and very impactful. It was very impactful in the movie, too. I uh, was distracted at that moment because I just read a book called The Ring World. And the aliens in that were also called engineers. And they created a, a planet that was the shape of a ring right. that the diameter of the orbit of Earth. Which felt like more actual engineering <laughs> than eating some black liquid and then dying. <laughs> well, you know, come on. So I was together a, a slurry of stuff, and you have to have some engineering knowledge, oh, I okay. assume. Back in the basketball court, uh, Numi Rupes says they engineered us. And it was a very impactful moment, even though they had shown that in the trailer. And it was very good for the trailer, because it encapsulates what they're doing. Um, but then you have this uh, red-bearded, I don't know, Irish punk guy uh, with an accent who's like... Tattooed and stuff? Like, yeah, bollocks. You know, and... I took him to be, like, the military guy exactly. on the ship. I was like, oh, man, he's one of the military people that they brought along just in case. He's the geologist 
And I was like, what? And I feel like they did that on purpose. Like, they made them all cool and punk rock and everything. And then when they get down on the surface, they go, well, you're the geologist. I was like, what? <laughs> okay. Uh, it was odd. And I don't know. I'm, I don't know any geologists. Maybe that's what you get when you wander around in the desert and look at rocks yeah. all day. But you got to do it stoned or on acid. But it does sort of feel like the ro- filmmakers were like, okay, we need to make everybody a little bit different. Let's give everybody a thing. We don't know what geologists do, so let's make him the punk rock guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they then, uh, let's see. Oh, they, yeah. It also, though, comes across with the Wayland speech and everything, and uh, Charlize Theron saying, like, I'm in charge, essentially, but even though Wayland says these two, the scientists are in charge. Um, we don't know who's in charge. The captain seemed like he was in charge upstairs, right? When he was decorating Christmas trees, blowing her off. I have no idea where the leadership is on this ship, and it's a thing that comes up constantly throughout it. And yet, I'm like, they said he spent a trillion dollars to get them here. And you don't think that they're going to delineate maybe that before they leave, first off, or second off, have her pull rank and say, what the heck, you know? To clarify, it's not like it seems as though they're fighting for control, like the number two is trying to mutiny the number one. Like, it's not clear who's in charge anyways. And they all just defer and like, well, I'll see about that and like walk off with a look. But you're like... You never do see about that. Like, <laughs> you know, when she locks them out in the, of the, won't lower the airlock, I'm like, is she taking control and being like, I'm in charge now, Captain, bitch. You know, like, and she, it doesn't come to that. But either way, during this meeting, it's the first indication that there's a vacuum in the leadership role, uh, which, I mean, is kind of addressed in that uh, the old guy, you know, didn't trust her or like her. Uh, and liked the true believers and everything, so he put his faith in them, even though maybe he shouldn't, and she is actually more in charge of the company and all these things. But So it's it seems like a conscious thing they did, but it's dumb given the fact how high the stakes are. This is not Alien, where it's a coal mining or whatever, ore mining ship, where it's like, yeah, it's essentially, you know, truckers or like truckers in space is how they pitched it yeah I mean, like, and it's like it's supposed to be. yeah you can have a sass talking guy who's like go to hell company man i'm the cor- i'm the driver of this boat and it's like yeah you're paying him just above minimum wage he can talk <laughs> back because you can't find anyone cheaper this is a trillion dollar flagship expedition with not only the first robot human ai but we find out later the head of the company is on the ship and yet they're letting all these this ragtag bunch of misfits talk back to them and stuff? No. You own a several trillion dollar company. First off, you'd own your own ships, which I guess they own this one. But you'd have a company man at the helm and be like, yes, sir, right away. Which is what Charlize Theron seems like she's supposed to be. Right. And but yet, nobody seems to understand that. Because she hasn't shot anyone in the head for disobeying <laughs> her. Like... This was the level of enforcement they needed, and I was expecting that they would have established beforehand. The people showed up, the geologists, botanists, everyone, didn't know why they were there. They got told, and it's like, seemed like they were under contract, which I think we established in Alien and Aliens. That's how this company works, is like, they're like, yeah, we just contract out stuff. Fine. It's a big global or uh, intergalactic industry. They can run it however they want, and yet you would think you would have some hardliners on the ship with the head of the company on it. You would also not tell people, I mean, unless, like, I assumed the fact that they didn't know meant that the company was trying to kill them like they did in every other Alien movie. Right. Which doesn't seem to be the original goal. So now it's just like, why didn't you tell them? Like, you, they, you would tell them normally. Right. Like, there's no, unless it's 
they're not going to go because the plan is to kill them. <laughs> like, you would tell them the plan before they get on the... Pl- just so that everybody understood what was yeah, going on. I mean, there's potential for leaks, but tell them before they go in the cryo chamber. Be like, we just left Earth. You can't call anyone. You're about to get in the cryo chamber. By the way, origins of mankind, deep space. It's a thing. <laughs> we'll talk to them later. Um, also, founder of the ship. Uh, founder of the company's on the ship. Um, so, it was confusing for the power dynamics. It was dumb for the characterization and it feels like they do they have to do that or they think oh it's an alien thing where each of them are so quirky and have their own you know sideways trucker hat or hawaiian shirts and this guy is loud and i'm like no not in this one there should have been a military level of precision and rank and order and that's one thing about aliens or or another movie that's sort of similar sunshine like they were both military or like governmental uh missions and Everybody was sort of quirky and had their own, like, thing, but they still had a chain of command. Like, yeah. Uh, I can't remember all the characters' names in Aliens, but, like, there was the Hispanic chick who was all muscly and stuff, and then there was there was uh, Bill, Bill Paxton. Paxton. Sorry. <laughs> there was Bill Paxton, who was just being a doofus the whole time. But, like, there was clear, like, who was in charge and who wasn't. And, uh, like, you could still create characters without everybody We're- not... Following rules or right. having a rank. Yeah. yeah. So it seemed kind of cheap in terms of writing. Um, and it's it does just... It gets much worse later on. I, I um, almost wonder if they looked at Alien and were like, let's do that. Immediately after that meeting, David goes up to Numi Rapace's boyfriend, some guy I've never seen before, and he dies halfway through the movie anyway, so I don't care. He um, did a pretty good job <laughs> acting, I think. Yeah, it was fine. Um, he, he, said, he asked him about, do you really believe this or whatever? And, and he says, uh, well, that's our thesis. We, we don't really know or something. And, and then David, the robot, says, well, that's why they call it a thesis. And I'm like, that's not what the word thesis means. Like, I think you mean theory. But even then, scientists use the word theory differently than we do. What you really mean is hypothesis. hypothesis. Uh, a thesis is, is a conclusion. Central, like, yeah. that's a paper that you've written after your theory thrust. has been proved. Like, it doesn't... Ah, yeah, or a thesis paper. I was going to say thesis, like, is the main thrust right. in a story. Any number of things except for what he just said it right. was. And, uh, and yeah. I'm like, the robot should know this. But then, like, the professional writers who do nothing but push words around on a paper all day long, why didn't somebody look... Why didn't somebody realize that that was wrong? Like... Maybe it's another indication that this robot ain't quite right. The guy used the word thesis uh-huh. as a, you know, as a... The guy used the word thesis to mean hypothesis also. Okay. And uh, clearly just the writers, and then no one else was like, you know what, this is the wrong word. Maybe we should fix this. Well, see, that's the thing. For writing, as we discussed, the thesis is like the central point. Uh, so writers know that. Uh, but if you put it, yeah, in science terms, it, that's not the same one. So they wrote, it was the correct word if you were, if you were a writer. I was saying, <laughs> like, my main idea here is that these aliens made us. That's my thesis. So are you saying the writers are not physicists and bi- xenobiologists and stuff? Uh, maybe. I think they're actually just pasty-faced nerd boys in a big room. <laughs> but I don't know specifically on these ones. Movie Oh, no. David, uh, Damon Lindelof is a pasty-faced nerd boy. Okay, it's exactly. A <laughs> so there you go. That interaction was actually the first indication I had that uh, Numi Rapace's husband boyfriend here just doesn't seem to like the robot on site, which maybe is a normal reaction they're trying to say. Like, oh, they took our jobs, or it's not natural, or, you know, he's trying to find the origin of mankind, and this robot is an abomination to that. I don't know, but he escalates every time they interact, just being more and more of a dick to uh, Michael Fassbender's character. 
who's a robot, but still, you can tell from the first interaction that he is taking it very personally for a robot. And, like, you can see the murderous intent behind his eyes, and I'm like, why do they not see that? And yeah, why I was mean, this guy just a dick for being dick's sake? Like, you can't see that you are murdering yourself? <laughs> Everybody seems, like, we know from the series that they don't have the robots aren't allowed to kill rule until aliens, which is, like, 300 years from now. So, he should realize there's that if he looks like he's crazy and is going to kill you, there's no programming telling him not to. Yeah, he's <laughs> Which, not- I don't know why that wasn't something you built at the beginning. When, uh, they were too busy building the, the, the mind raper exactly. <laughs> inside the sleep machine. Um, it seems like this Wayland Corporation is not overly concerned from preser- preservation of the human life. We've determined that from the other movies. So, preservation of wealth and valuable things is probably their primary directive. True. I don't think they're three laws safe, is what I'm getting at. <laughs> um, yeah, so they then go into the planet's atmosphere, though. They take her in and see huge Himalaya-sized mountains to the nth degree. It's all actually very impressive visuals. Still, movie in looks fact, awesome. watching it in 3D on the IMAX, there's a certain point where the planet is at the top of the screen, and the ship is flying along, and the ship does like a barrel roll so that it's you know, level with the planet. I don't know. There's an airplane term for that. I don't know anything about flying. Anyways, it turns over completely, and it's one long shot. And in a five-story screen in 3D, I got a little nauseous. I was like, wow. that's And I, do, I rarely have problems with 3D. And for a while after that shot, I was I was like, rocking in I your don't seat. need to see everything in three dimensions right now. <laughs> Please limit the number of dimensions. There, but like you said, all of those, those beautiful shots of the ship coming in, I really liked how they played up the size of the ship. Like, they made it so small. Yeah in the frame and you there are other shots where you're like this is a giant ship and you know it's it's you know a cruise ship size or bigger and you know there's plenty of room for the people on board but in the it sort of thematically reflects that in the in the it sort of reflects the theme of the film where we're just sort of a small part of a larger picture like this big impressive ship is actually a very tiny thing in comparison to what we're going to find out in this film so that's a design visual thing that Ridley Scott is great at. Yeah. And uh, it is one of the themes in the movie, and uh, Michael Fassbender gives a line to it that is in the trailer and awesome where he says, very big things have very small beginnings. Which I've never seen Lawrence of Arabia, so I didn't realize it was a oh, quote. Oh, yeah. I, I believe that is a Lawrence of Arabia quote. Bad film student. Um, so the uh, ship goes in. Um, one thing about the ship, though, I, it... Did it come across a little Serenity-like to you? Firefly-esque? A little, now it, that you mention it. It might have been just the wasp stinger butt or the uh, the The movable. weird, like, neck thing that it had. Yeah. So, it wasn't an actual, like, homage or thing. I just noticed it, and it's probably... Maybe there's an actual, like, practical reason, reason. for that that I don't know about. I don't sure. know. I don't know anything about spaceship design, so let's who am go I with to that. Say? Uh, so they ultimately I mean, are just that's, that's like, oh, it, that plane also has wings. Nah. Is that an <laughs> Exactly. Uh, they they fly around the surface of the planet and they're just looking around and literally they go there, there. God doesn't design in straight lines, and they see like runways or lines in the dirt and then structures. Did it seem like to you like they were 
this close to giving up on the search right they before They literally are like, well, you guys screwed the pooch. We've been here 25 minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? And then they survey the entire planet. Yeah, and they're literally flying around. And there's 12 guys. Well, there are not 12 guys. You mentioned how big the ship is. It says crew of 17. We see like six of them at the briefing. And it's like... No, the, the briefing you do see all... There's like two rows. Okay. It, it's about... It looks like about 20 people, so I'm guessing it was 17. It but. feels like there are six people at the briefing. Maybe that's because those are the only people with lines <laughs> Only six people talk, yes. But yeah. there are two rows of like eight. Okay. Still, a uh, huge ship, trillion dollar undertaking, and I'm like, oh, that's right. They only sent 17 people. We got a number at the beginning, and yet we only ever see like six at once. So they're on the bridge. All six people... Or so are at screens and everything, and yet the scientist guy goes out the window. See that? I'm like, you didn't have scans running for things like that. Uh, it's a a thing that's going to come up. I mean, comes up later in a. Don't you have science that could do this thing? Um, so yeah, I mean, like, why don't they have probes like at the beginning of the Empire Strikes Back? Like, release a couple satellites, let them orbit and take yeah. pictures. Like, I don't. What plan did if they have? If you can afford going several light years to another yeah. planet, you can afford that. And they, yeah, their plan was to just land and look around. Maybe we'll walk around. We got these, our, we got these ATVs. I mean, we'll just cover a couple square miles a day, right? How big could it be? That does not <laughs> sound like a real great plan. Even with the plane flying between these mountains, looking around, it's like the whole planet. You realize you're, you're the idea here is you're going to look everywhere. Uh, it's not like the five star map configuration pointed to, you know, like, oh, it's just past this peak and over here next to a big 7-Eleven. Yeah, and I mean, like, there's weather. Like, there's a, half the time they're in clouds, and I'm like, well, you're not going to, you're lucky that you got a cloud break right yeah. at that moment. Like, so none of it made sense. They spot the runways and everything 25 minutes in, right when they were about to give up, and then they <laughs> land in front, and they're like, all right, uh... It's uh, two hours till sundown. We should probably wait till tomorrow. And the, the scientist guy's like, no, it's Christmas Day. I want to open my presents. And it's like... Are you retarded? <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, a lot of things in this movie actually reminded me of the prequel to The Thing uh, called The Thing. Uh, <laughs> the prequel of the John Carpenter movie that came out uh, last year. In that... In that, I made fun of the scientists, kind of, because they were like, oh, we found something in the ice, and the, you follow a character who they they bring up to Alaska or Antarctica or whatever. Uh, to Antarctica. <laughs> they bring up to Antarctica or whatever, and takes, they say it takes a month or something for her to get there so they can remove it from the ice properly, they can do everything right, and then literally it's up for an hour, and they're like, bust out the Makita drill, I want to see if this thing's real. They drill with a like, hand drill into it just as it's out the ice and take samples and everything. I'm like, well, that's just... Like, bad science. You proved that you were patient by doing everything right. Now you're rushing it at the goal line, which is a real thing. And I just took that as stupid characters. In this, it felt like, literally, you just you were in cryostasis for two years. It's a trillion-dollar expedition. And they're like, I want to get inside! And there's no one, again, we talked about the leadership problem. Where was the person to say, I don't give a crap what you want to do. We have two hours of light left. We're on an alien planet we know nothing about. How could they possibly even know that it's two hours? Can you tell the rotation of the planet? Like, if that doesn't... Yeah, I feel like the Maybe? computers that they didn't use for anything else <laughs> could tell them that. So They're I busy calculating the I speed let, of the rotation. Let that one slide. All the uh, advancements in the future are going to be weather and uh, <laughs> daylight savings related. So... <laughs> <laughs> they're like, okay, I want to get inside. And they rush to, to, to get ready. They're like, oh, A-team. I'm like, 
You mean these six people? They all go downstairs and they are getting in gear and uh, everything, and then there's a dude that walks up with a gun, like a minigun or something, and Naomi Rapace is like, what's that for? He's like, it's a gun. What? <laughs> you know? And she's like, this is a scientific expedition. We don't need guns. And he's like, uh, and he literally says, good luck with that, and he like goes back in the ship. How did anyone, regular scientists going into the jungle looking for animals, don't go without guns? Yeah, like, they take today. a guide, and you have guns to shoot. You know what? Yes, you are looking for a rare white bat or something, but there are deadly snakes that, you know, or just things you don't know about that you are going to have to shoot. I realize your commitment is to studying life and everything like that, but it's a, it's a self-preservation thing. There is... No one who would think that that's a good idea. I can't. It was <laughs> like it was baffling. I was like, okay, I understand you don't want the char- you want the characters to be defenseless so that they can, uh, you know, they can be victims it, well, and be eaten by aliens and shit. But come on! It was also again supposed to be like she's the true believer and she's like, we won't need it. We'll just it will be a love fest with the people that created us and we'll get all the answers to the universe. And they say like, oh, her and the guy are true believers. Um, and that's why they were brought them along. Okay, but the two of them. Yeah. The other 15 people. No, I'm that's not, ridiculous. I'm not going in there without a gun. I'm the botanist or geologist or whatever. And no, I need a gun. I want that guy to follow me around with a gun. <laughs> so I'm on an alien freaking planet. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I had the biggest problem with they with this really movie. They all have guns. Is not how just that guy. stupid the characters are. Like, And they're just stupidly written. It's like, oh, trillion dollar expedition. And like I said, you've got ragtag team of misfits and, oh, bucking the system and everything. No, that does not make sense in this storyline. It really felt like they were trying to get to, they wanted to hit certain points that happened in Alien. They, they wanted to hit certain points that happened in Alien where people get eaten and it's a big surprise. Right. And like some char- characters are separated and they're wandering around and they, they there's something coming, but they don't know what it is. Like they wanted to hit all those points, but then they wanted to address all of these 2001 style big questions about the origin of life and the only way to do that is to have stupid characters who don't like think things through like that's the only way you can cover both bases which is at least that's what they thought was the only way i don't think that's true i don't think so either you could have written this in a much better way maybe the uh the professional marine guys or whatever security they brought along get taken out first yeah, get or the, eat them first isolated. that's what they did in aliens yeah like there's a way to do it but like uh, it was so that it was, was very frustrating. The the quintessential problem I had with this movie was that interaction where she's like, "No, we're not bringing guns," and the guy turns around, and walks back, and they don't have a commander to go, "Science lady, shut your hole, gun guy, you're coming with us." You know what I mean? There's no one to give orders. Yeah, I mean, it's not even so much that the scientist is dumb; it's that nobody else tells her <laughs> yeah, that she's dumb. She's the talent. You have to wrangle the talent and corral <laughs> them into wherever you want to get them, but that takes a lot of things that they don't want to approve of. You have to trick them into, or say this is the only way it's going to happen because I'm the one that freaking founded, you know, paid the trillion dollars for this. Just, I'm the guy who knows how to open the door. For some reason, nobody seems to realize that not bringing guns is a bad idea and they all go together in their little Jeeps and the, uh, you know, cargo truck that they have for some reason. Yeah, I think that there was a good interaction with uh, Michael Fassbender and uh, what's her, Numi Rapace's husband, where he asked why he's putting on a helmet, and he says, oh, I'm made to look more human uh, to make you guys more comfortable. If I don't wear the helmet, what's the point? So, I liked that interaction. 
I did want him to like at that point I wanted him to like peel off his face and reveal that he's like a Terminator style yeah. android, but instead he's still like the milk filled one from the alien movies. The purpose of an android, I guess, is to look like a person when you realize that like nowadays we have robots building cars and airplanes and stuff and none of them look like people because it's not necessarily the most efficient design. Well, and, but, yeah, no one wants to pay for the uh, the face and everything. And they're like, it's building cars. What do I care? <laughs> so I'm sure this one, since it was meant to be his son, they put in the time on the face and looking more human. Which actually brings up an interesting point. I was reading, I don't know, some analysis or another. that It's impossible to get away from analyses of Prometheus right now if you're on the internet at all. Right. <laughs> Someone was saying that Charlize Theron sort of looks and acts more robotic than than Michael Fassbender at certain points in the film because she's all very rigid and by the by the book and follow the rules and all that stuff and then she goes off and has sex with Idris Elba but maybe she's just a robot with the parts you yeah. know like I think they left that open maybe it's like Deckard being a replicant or something uh I don't know uh, I didn't think she was a robot because of her chip on her shoulder you know about being her his daughter yeah, but again, he calls David his son, so, you know, maybe? Maybe, yeah, maybe <laughs> she's just the less liked of the robots, so that could put a chip on her shoulder. So there's that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, clearly clearly the robots have emotions that the humans aren't willing to acknowledge, so it's possible. I don't know, it's just one of those many theories that I think are flying around with this uh, movie. Or so they go from the ship, and uh, it didn't strike me at the time, but someone has asked me, why did they park so far away from the ship? I mean, it's almost like they're just setting it up to allow for the, the bigger ship to reveal from under the ground, and Numi Rapace to run for her ship and everything. Like, get a lot closer. Well, they don't know what's in there. Like, it could be, you know, radioactive or something that explodes. Or Yes, I mean... because they're taking so many precautions <laughs> and they're practicing such good science that that was clearly their motivation. Okay, I'll give you that. They probably, right. I'm surprised they didn't just land on top of it, teeter, and then fall over <laughs> the top of the right. dome part. So, but they go inside. Uh, we see, they establish, hey, we've got video cameras all over our helmets. Are you getting this, Prometheus? They say the word Prometheus, referring to talking back to the ship like 30 times. It was in the trailer like at least three times. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, that's a lot. No, it's in the movie even more. Uh, we established they have cameras on their helmets and on their suits. As soon as they get five feet into the damn thing, they're like, wait, it's breathable in here. Take off the helmets, everyone. I understand the guy doing it because he's the wild card. But everyone else is like, okay, he lasted for five <laughs> seconds out there. Must be good. I do not care. It's an alien damn planet. You could just, even if it wasn't an alien damn planet, you could catch a cold. I mean, like, yeah. who knows what's going on in there? Like, oh, it's a breathable atmosphere full of alien viruses or snakes or who knows what the hell. So they uh, are walking around I do inside. Have a, I do have a question about their uh, cameras. Um, I work on a television show. We have very nice high-definition cameras with wireless connection to the monitor where the director is sitting, and it looks just like you see it on television. Perfect, clear, crisp picture. 80 years from now, apparently that technology will disappear. Yeah, this, uh, my cell phone looks better. <laughs> like, Skyping. They they were like, oh, even when they were just ducking under, I think, the, the wall to get inside, the picture's cutting out a little bit back on the ship and shaky, and just looks like a mini DV cam. Yeah, like I said, most of the designs in this I will accept as sort of being cooler looking than Alien because Alien was truckers in space. 
but they really should have better video technology than this. I don't understand why the truckers don't have better video technology than they had on the first Alien, but this one, definitely, like, what is going on? Yeah, and it was conscious decision because we you can make, you know, better video quality. Like, maybe the original Alien, it was supposed to look like security footage, and it's like, oh, well, they're... They're out. They're transmitting through the airwaves, if that's possible. When they were filming this, like it's the future. Uh, now we know that's possible, and we can do it now and look better than what they have on their helmets. Yeah. But so they're wandering around, and no one seems to pay attention to the robot or care about sticking together. And he's lagging behind, pushing buttons on things. Which how does he even know what they're buttons? Like- well. They kind of set it up in that he's examining some goo that is in one of them. He, like, takes it away with his finger, and there's slime, and it's in certain grooves. So he follows them, and one of them reacts, I think. And it's like, uh, that's where the alien put their finger, you know, it's like on a... How long have they been dead? Like, they, many hundreds of years. So but, the goo is still fresh, though. Ah, uh, yeah. It's, it, it's very advanced goo. Um... <laughs> But even before that, the geologist guy, who again we thought was military, but they probably love turning that on its ear, takes out these small orbs and says, oh, we'll know where to go soon. And he throws them up in the air and they spin around and scan the entire thing and they just spread off in different directions. I liked that in the film it, it took time to scan everything. Like, yeah. the, it didn't just instantly map everything. Like, it, they had to go down every corridor and they got lost and turned back and shit like that. Right. Which makes sense. Except for then, they, they keep going, and uh, Michael Fassbender activates the hologram security camera black box of the place, and it starts replaying the last moments of the the aliens there. So they see them run by. Which a lot of people were apparently confused by what that was. I was like, it looks like a recording, only it's a three-dimensional Yeah. Record. I, I don't know. Did... I wasn't confused by it was. I was confused by why they would have it. You know, like I said, I call it a black box recorder. Maybe that's the only thing I can think of is it's a log of what they were doing since it's a science expedition or something. But why is that the only panel over there? And why did they have the slime on that? Like they were like, oh, we better record all this because everything's going to hell. <laughs> uh, let me stop and press these buttons uh, while we're being attacked. Well, I don't know. He was just, I mean, as far as he knows, he was just pushing random buttons. Maybe that's just the code for, hey, play the last five seconds just in case so we know what happens. Like a bat black box. I mean, yeah. It's kind of... Something. Now, the curious thing is, though, where that guy was running, that's where the black goo was. That's, that's, that's ground where zero. running from. Well, it wasn't clear what they ran from, because the black goo they brought, that was their weapon or their test oh. things. Yeah, that's true. So, maybe it wasn't contaminated in there, it was outside. So, I was assuming they were creating something with the black goo, because apparently the black goo does some sort of mutation something. Oh, yeah. It's just... Uh, what, it uh, seems like it's the base level of the xenomorph that we're familiar with. I'm going to go with it's just uh, primordial ooze. It is like creation itself. Because, you know, the guy, the Prometheus, in the beginning drinks it and spawns life on Earth. I'm sure if some other, you know, silicone-based organism drank it, it would explode into a bunch of silicone-based life forms. So I took it as just a catalyst, I guess. For whatever material it comes into contact with. Right, but I mean, that's what's... I mean, essentially, the xenomorph, it becomes similar to whatever creature it is bursting out of. And so, like, you have the goo, and then it eventually can become something like what we think of as the xenomorph, and then it comes out of people, and it's sort of person-like. And that's the thing that we're familiar with in our movies. Right. So, uh, they are all running away. They 
chase the, uh, well, the aliens are all running away towards the door. They follow the image and find one that tripped and got his head cut off before getting into the safe room. Um, and they're looking at the bodies and everything. Then David jumps up and they're like, what are you doing? He's like dicking around and pushing buttons. And no one says like, stop. <laughs> He's like, dude. And he opens and they're like, well, d whatever was trying to kill them, it might be on the other side of the store. And he's like, whoops. And he opens the door. And then they find the head on the other side. When they find the head, two guys, the biologist, I think, yeah, and the, the geologist, finally have a good idea. They're like, this is freaky as hell. I'm going to leave. Which uh, makes sense. And then apparently get lost <laughs> that is the worst part and again what is wrong with this movie they get lost the geologist is the one with the technology that is mapping the entire area he has a map on his wrist they ask him for directions he has a wrist top computer that is linked up to his dogs that are mapping the whole area everyone should be lost but him <laughs> I was sure that it was going to be like a cube kind of situation where like the rooms were moving or something. Because I was like, there's there's no way. There has to be an explanation for this. And then, again, there's the urns of the goo. And they are literally walking up to like smelling it. Putting their nose an inch away from it. And they're like, well, it's still solid at that point. And they're like, oh, look at all the pretty murals. And they start melting. And that would, to me, would be like a... That's a, not a good thing. <laughs> and then here's another little thing I, that was questionable. They show one of their boots, they step, and then there are worms. Yeah. I don't... Are they trying to suggest they brought those worms? Or are these, like, worms from this planet and environment? I can't imagine that on the trillion-dollar ship they would have tracked in worms. <laughs> no, so, I, I thought it was from the planet, but I guess... Yeah. It... So, well... So then the worms writhe up under their shoes and everything like that, and then the, the urns start melting, but they don't notice that. The ship calls and says, there's a storm a-coming. Yes, a 40-mile-tall storm of shards of silicon or whatever the hell that they just spotted with their naked eye because <laughs> the computers on the ship do nothing. It's like, oh, you have 30 minutes to get out of there because we just noticed this. Like... What the hell? It's, again, what is all this technology for? So they're like, okay, let's bag up the head. Now one notices that the robot is stealing one of the damned urns because they just let him run free and no one's paying attention to anyone because, again, they're the worst scientists ever. Uh, so they start running to get back and then they uh, get in their dune buggies and are driving and everything like that. And then right as they get up to the ramp, she drops the head and she has to go out after it. Which how... Did you not secure, as you're just driving along, because it's a, like you said, the ship is a very far away from yeah. the cave, tie it to something, wrap your arms she through it. She had her arms through it, I think, and then just jumped out and it flung away. Yeah, it was weird that yeah. she dropped it. I was okay with it because, and then she gets thrown off to the side and her husband goes after her. And it does actually allow, David hooks into a uh, harness or something, goes outside and gets both of them. It reminded me actually a lot of Abyss. Yeah. Or the abyss. There's a scene, I think, where someone, they're outside the airlock and they have to, I don't know, swim to another one. Something. But it was very similar in that, oh, there's a harsh environment outside and we have to go get another person. That sequence where David rescues them is, is exciting and interesting and stuff. But I also sort of had this vague feeling. I was like, somebody said that we need an action scene here. Like, it it felt like uh, it felt like an obligation that it's been a little while and this is like the the 20 minutes since the last exciting thing happened i felt almost like it was a 
This robot's been so damn creepy that people have to just know he's going to kill all of them. <laughs> Let's do something where he's really nice and save some of them. They go, wait a minute. Maybe all those murderous glints in his eye were just me being paranoid. Yeah. And uh, at this point, I was also sort of wondering, like, I, when they were coming back, there were, they had the two, they had the same number of Jeeps and the big truck that they had before. And I was like, did the other two guys just walk all the way? Like, how long ago did they leave? And then, like, at this point, they eventually all sort of put together, hey, wait a second, where are the other two guys? They're like, he's not back yet? And I'm like, didn't those two guys radio back to base and say, hey, we're heading home now? Didn't they also, again, A, have the map, B, have three cameras affixed to their suits, and C, I'm pretty sure on the cameras we see heartbeat monitors and things. They are wired into the ship to where you could probably tell, again, we have cell phones right now with global positioning on them. Just because it's a different globe doesn't mean you can't position the people on it. Well, if actually, you're monitoring their heart... Actually, that, that's true, because they don't have satellites orbiting them right now. So. Son of a bitch. <laughs> this is <gonna> turn <laughs> the into, different globe actually is important this is in this one. turn game. into that haywire talk about the <laughs> damn map. So they, they apparently are beaming their heartbeats and video back right. to them. You can't ping that to also be a positioning... And we're... Uh, Weren't they listening to the conversation where they were like, we're leaving now? Oh, no. No one on the bridge or ship is paying attention to anything that's going on in there, by the way. Because we see that throughout. They're like, where are you guys? And then they're like, what? Oh, there's a storm. And they end up spending the rest of the night there. And no one is watching the monitors or talking to them. It's like the worst. Uh, these people are the worst at their job ever and deserve to die. But <laughs> they also end up killing people like... The captain is literally, I, I like him as an actor, but his character is the worst captain ever. Like, he radios them up, and they go, well, what's going on? He's like, there's a storm coming up. You guys are going to have to camp out there till morning. We'll come and get you. And, and he's, like, laughing about it. He this. is. And they're like, what? What do you mean, storm? And he's like, oh, you're breaking up, staggering storm. And I think he hangs up on them. And he's, like, laughing to the other guys. I'm like, you just murdered them. <laughs> you just killed them. And you're la you like, this is beyond just being a dick. You are the the worst captain ever, and you just murdered part of your crew. I, I genuinely thought that it was similar to uh, the, the, the point in Aliens when Paul Reiser locks Ripley in with the alien so that she'll get infected. Like, I was like, oh, he wants them to get the black goo somehow. He's and, working for the company. Yeah, something. No, he's just sort of fucking with them. It is completely unclear what his character is supposed to be because, again, he just murders them. Then later, it's like, oh, uh, it's nighttime-ish, and then he's sitting there watching them, and he stops paying attention or, like, turns off their monitors and stuff. And then Charlize Theron comes in, and she's and he's like, if you came up here to get laid, you just have to say so. And she blows him off, and then he's like, are you a robot? And she's like, fine, let's go have sex. <laughs> he goes to have sex while his guys are like, hey, is anyone there? Oh, there's something killing me! Oh my god, why isn't anyone watching the monitors? <laughs> Literally, the next morning, they wake up, and he says, hey, it's time to go pick up our boys. Their last transmission was from outside that room you guys were in. No, their last transmission was from inside the room where you have several video cameras showing things murdering them. <laughs> but is he, like, covering that up and be like, I left my post to go have sex, so I'm just going to delete that part of the video, and we'll all act surprised when we get there and find out what happened. <laughs> that would actually be awesome. If, if for no other reason than it would make something make sense. Because right. otherwise it's like, are they not recording every inch of going to another planet? Yeah, they said something about terraforming, like maybe they do go to other planets all the time, but, like... 
This is apparently the most important mission ever because we're going to find the people that created life on Earth. Even if they didn't know that going on, they should have had, like, whoever programmed everything would have said, let's record everything. Why is there not a recording where they're like, let's play back and see where they are? Yeah. Hard drives are expensive. (laughs) So, uh, in between all of that, them dying and sleeping in there, we get some scenes of uh, them coming back, experimenting on the head. I wasn't overly impressed with anything they did there. I call bullshit on that because that thing was clearly not supposed to be a helmet. And they're like, well, we want the human ancestors to look sort of people. So we're going to say the thing that we saw in the other Alien movies is actually not... Uh, it actually does sort of look like a person, and this is just a helmet. I'm yeah. Like, that's that, that's a lot of retconning there, and I don't really buy it. It does kind of look like a... I mean, like like a jet fighter's helmet with the, the, the hose coming out of it and stuff. Kind of looks like that-ish, maybe, but still. I don't buy it as clothes. Yeah, I didn't think that was too great, but I didn't dwell on it as much as you did, maybe. <laughs> but um, well, I just like the original series so much, and I'm like, quit trying to change things to fit into your crazy new conception of it. Yeah, Ridley Scott. Uh, who are you to revise what Ridley Scott did? <laughs> um, so, they, uh, again, experiment on the head. They run a current through it, and it wakes up, and then its head explodes. And it's still not clear what killed these things, except for that one whose head was severed <laughs> by a door. Like... Uh, was the black ooze inside him and causing his head to explode into genetic material? Or what? Is Also, is uh, revivification the sort of thing that we do every time we find a new species? Yeah, you gotta figure out what, what the hell killed it. Uh, but like, yeah. what, what was it? Did they th- think it was going to start talking and tell them what happened? Like, what was the goal of Electrocuting. Maybe they could record the last image that They I can't saw. record anything. That's We've true. already established so. that. But meanwhile, by the way, back in the uh, the spooky tomb that the guys are wandering around in, they start to do the worst horror movie cliches yeah. ever of, hey, look at this pile of bodies. And then the captain says, there's something to the west of you. And they're like, I'm going east. They end up in the 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 urn room. or Which, again, they've apparently gone in a complete circle despite the fact that the ship is a horseshoe shape. So how did they do that? Yeah. And then... Uh, they proceed to continue to dick around and smell things and not notice everything changing around them, at which point they decide, oh, this would be funny. How about one of them's a stoner? And he's literally smoking weed in in the alien planet tomb of death. <laughs> and that is hilarious to us, right? No. That is stupid and belongs in something in Cabin in the Woods where you're making fun of horror movie cliches. Not in this film. I... I- I actually thought it was tobacco smoke. <laughs> I, I mean, did he actually say it was marijuana? I No, the guy said, you put tobacco in your air filter? And he takes a deep breath of it and goes, yeah, tobacco. And jokingly <laughs> saying it's not tobacco. I believe. <laughs> okay, yeah, no. So, stupid stoner joke lines. Then, by the way, they start to see movement going on. And the biologist is like, hey, what's that over there? And... These guys that have been running away from their own shadows and everything, he now walks over and goes, Hey, look at this! First off, a uh, tentacle thing pops up and looks around, a la Star Wars in the garbage compactor scene. Yeah. And I was like, really? <laughs> we're doing this? We're inserting little jokes in our movie. All right. So, we already had the stoners, so whatever. All bets are off. Uh, so then he goes up to it, the biologist who should be studying things, he's like, oh, look at the little baby! And he's like pointing his finger at it. It expands... 
like a viper. <laughs> and it starts making look... a hissing noise, and he's like, that's a good sound. Like, what the hell, in his experience, makes him think this is a good plan? <laughs> uh, second off, what the hell... I mean, we're only left to believe that these are the worms that they woke up with their boots and they got exposed to the melted genetic goo that re re reacted to them coming in. That's what I assumed, yeah. Yeah. So, at first I was like, wait, are these the things that killed the alien? The founder guys? Like, but no, because they were just worms that reacted to goo. So what the hell got them outside? First off. So, he starts poking at it and everything. It grabs his fingers. like, oh, it's cute. And then it wraps around his arm. And he's like, oh, it's less cute. And the other guy tries to cut it off. And uh, it's Well, gone. no, there's like a long time where he, he's sort of fine with the fact that it's wrapped around his arm. And I'm like, no, that's terrible. He's like, no, 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 don't, don't mess with it. Let it. And I'm like, no, it's wrapped around your arm. It's going to kill you. Why yeah. would you think that that's okay? Oh, good. So maybe he had secondhand marijuana smoke or something. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it starts twisting his arm. And the other guy goes to cut it off. It's got acid blood. So it sprays on his helmet. Which then vacuum forms to his face. Which I don't understand at all. Is uh, that how glass and acid work? <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's plastic, I guess. That was another thing. The helmets, it, there were several points like where Charlie's there on, or them are like screaming and yelling, or something intense is going on, and the glass is fogged up. And I'm like, you're doing a pretty good job most of the time, but in some of the wider shots, I'm like, that person can't see out of that. Like, <laughs> and I mean, it's the. I mean, it's the future. So you would hope we'd have clearer glass, and I would take that scene again. But again, we discussed Ridley Scott. is like, no, it's about the performance. And I'm sure he was like, yes, they spit all over the glass, but it's the best acting they've done. So uh, that jumped out at me a little bit. But So vacuum forms to the guy's face. He falls in the genetic goo. And then uh, the other guy, the fluke monster, rips a hole in his suit, swims up into his head, uh into his helmet and then goes in his throat I'm like is this uh, like this is our early face hugging right so I'm like okay now I guess I see how it gets back on the ship they're gonna come find their bodies take him back he's gonna chest burst um something so but no meanwhile back on the ship David not only are the this female scientists poking the head with electricity David has pulled out the urn of goo and is examining it and by examining it, I mean breaking it open and running it between his fingers. <laughs> like, I realize he doesn't have to worry about getting infected or anything, but just for uh, just for its sake uh, as a scientific discovery or something that you're trying to use, maybe get a microscope or a beaker or something. Like, <laughs> he literally cracks it open and pouring it on his finger and looking at it. Maybe he has microscope eyes, but it was still the weirdest <laughs> choice ever. And, I mean, it kind of played more to him not being sane and not looking it. But this was a bit far. <laughs> Especially since he then goes to talk to one of the cryopods that we saw him doing when everyone was asleep. And at this point, it's obvious to me, at least, that the founder of the company is on the ship. I never noticed things. And so I was like, well, whose sleeping pod is that? Yeah, I was like, gee, did we meet anyone else? Like, there's only one <laughs> really other speaking parts uh, who's not here. <laughs> And so, uh... I'm sometimes dumb about these things. I grant you. So he's, like, walking out. And, I mean, it was only for the ten seconds before Charlize Theron is in the, uh, the hallway and says, what did he say? Did you not get it at that point? Did you still not know who he was when Charlize Theron asks? No. Okay. I wasn't sure who, you know, I was like, what is going on here? So... Yeah, it was dumb. Now, at that point, not only was I sure who was inside of it, I was like, oh, she must be, like, his daughter or something. 
Uh, that was not a reveal at all. Later oh, the on. daughter? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The... She's like, a king has his time and he steps aside. Father. I'm like, why are you saying that like there should be impact there? That was very obvious. No, I assumed either she was literally his daughter or just a daughter figure. And either way, like, the difference between them is negligible in terms of this yeah. film. So, uh, you didn't actually need to say that. Yeah. So then uh, she she walk, you know pushes him aside and he says that uh, the guy in the pod said to try harder, which apparently means again to rub it between your fingers <laughs> even more, or to infect uh, Numi Rapace's husband with it. There is a point when he's playing with it that he almost looks disgusted to me. Yeah, and I'm it's weird because I couldn't quite like at this point we had I had assumed he was going to murder everybody because that's just what robots do, but I I was like can he dislike something like I, I wasn't quite it was still hard to tell his his emotional range at this point and, and i think it's probably maybe intentional but I yeah was... he's definitely got a mixed bag of human and uh, robot stuff going on uh so but, is he grossed out by the goo or not was kind of not clear to me but uh, i don't know I, it's... I, I don't know either <laughs> uh but he goes to find numi rapace's husband four champagne bottles deep because they were on the planet two hours and his whole life work is ruined because they were dead it's like, maybe look at the next Hive Over guy. Like, this, he's just defeated and about to slit his wrist because, oh no, they're all dead. They, they're not here to answer my questions of why are we here. I spent all this time researching this and we've been here two and a half hours. I mean, give it another day? Also keep in mind, he was in the sleep pod for five years or however long the trip was. And so in his mind, I found the eighth cave painting finally convinced uh, the rich guy to pay for this trip. Then I got, then I laid down, and I woke up. Yeah. <laughs> and two hours later. He hasn't even been waiting, like, the two hours or whatever that David was walking around the ship. Right. Like, it's not been that long. So that is completely ridiculous that he's given up this fast. Then David is uh, asking him, uh, what would you give to know? You know, kind of, A, the guy's been pissing off David the whole time, and he's even now... Saying like, oh, it's a good thing you can't register disappointment. They had that that talk I yeah like, earlier. You with, can't register disappointment. You mean like I'm doing right now? <laughs> yeah, even though it looks like you are on your face, <laughs> just imitating us. So, um, and David says, "What? What? Uh, why did you make me?" And he says, "Because we could." Uh, so that was a good interaction. I really liked their dynamic. I well, I didn't because I was I really couldn't get around the obvious murder face. <laughs> nice. Uh, so then I'm like, oh, he's got another bottle. He's injected the, uh, goo in through the cork or something. He's going to give it to him. And he's like, here you go. No, he still has it on his <laughs> finger from when he touched it in the lab. He went to, I think he went to talk to Charlie's Theron in between. And it's like, I don't think he did. He maybe picked it up on the way. But then he dips it. I'm like... This is the worst science robot ever. Like, <laughs> and I know he's a robot, but somebody hands me a drink and they wiggle their finger in the water. Like, like that's weird. The guy was pretty drunk, so maybe he didn't catch it. But that was the worst delivery system ever. It was just so low tech that you're like, why is he like a Cro-Magnon robot here I'm using also, simple tools? <laughs> I'm also sort of confused because he said, "How far would you go?" and like, and and the boyfriend says he'll go as far as he can, or you know, till he dies or whatever. Like, did he, did David feel he needed the guy's permission to do this to him? Like, I even though, so. the, like, in his weird psychotic way, was he like, he's okay with dying for it, so, oh, let's see if this kills him. Like, is, but would he not, what would he have done if the guy was like, well, you know, 
I could take a macrame or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, what would David have done then? Uh, maybe had a scene where he was uh, troubled by it and then done it anyway. I mean, <laughs> so, yeah, it seemed like his wanting to please his father, uh, Wayland, would have overcome it. Though later he hates, he says he hates his father. I think he later has the line about all children want to kill their parents, and he doesn't like his father. So maybe if the guy turned a new leaf and was nice to him and said he didn't want to die for discovery, David could have reconsidered. It seemed like he was close to on the fence about it. But so he dips his finger in there, uh, gives it to the guy. Um, this is now the fourth way I think that they are just totally screwed. Like. <laughs> He's poisoning them. The guys are in the cave, still stuck. One of them's got the, the fluke monster down his throat. And I'm like, and then they brought the head back. So I'm like, which of these is going to come back and bite them in the ass? How are we getting the alien on the ship? Like, it felt like The Shining, where I felt there in The Shining, the hotel, I think it's on an Indian burial ground. You got the former how the former groundskeepers have killed their family, so there's ghosts walking around, and then there's just the oh, it's insane how you go crazy being locked in here for so long. I'm like, there's no way these people are not murdered. Like, <laughs> which of these is going to be the cause here? He poisons him, and then of course, because they're the best scientists ever, the guy then goes into Numi Rapace's room and says, "Hey, we just went down and explored a bunch of sciency areas and are probably contaminated. Let's have sex." <laughs> Well, they're both contaminated. It's yeah. not like he could get more The fact that they AIDS. just walked onto the ship, by the way, and there was no decontamination process. What, they would say the words like, oh, should we decontaminate? Nah. <laughs> that was it. It was brought up, and then they were just like, we just took our helmets off and brought, rolled around in the stuff. I don't see what the problem is. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are like eight people here, and six of them did go out. So uh, what do the other two got to lose? But it felt like even in like... Uh, Alien. They had better procedures in place, and those were truckers, not scientists. They're like, oh no, he got chest bursted or a face hugger. Let's put him in this at least plastic tent over here, and nobody poke him or lick his, his hands. Yeah, I mean, in Alien, Ripley is clearly saying, I'm not going to let you guys in. And when I think Tom Skerritt is the one who does let but, them back yeah. down, it's clearly a, uh, it's clearly insubordination that he does that. And he's going against the chain of command, which this ship does not have at all, right. like you pointed out. And yet, these are scientists, not truckers. So they should be even more like aware of the problems that could come if you don't decontaminate stuff. So this is just ridiculous. Uh, they have sex, but we have to drop a line about how she's infertile. Uh, because, oh, what's creating life? Anyone can do it. And she says, I can't. And I'm like, there's no way this is coming up later. Okay, so first of all, how long have they been going out and whatever? Like, he, he would just... Make a callous joke about that? I mean, yeah, yeah. that's... He, he's clearly aware. Like, when she says it, he's not surprised. Right. So, why would he... He's had four bottles of champagne and some genetic goo. Come on. <laughs> not thinking all that straight. So, they have sex... In the morning, he wakes up and there's a tentacle coming out of his eye or something, and he's Which like, "I thought looked sort of similar to the worms that we saw earlier." So, like, is that the goo thing, or is it just these worms are also dangerous and gross? Yeah, uh, it's not clear. I mean, he he only had a tiny finger drop full, not the full cup that the big Prometheus guy in the beginning did, but that guy broke down real quick, and he was much larger. So I was like, "Okay, is he gonna explode soon into a <laughs> genetic Pangea of life?" Like. But then the captain calls and says, hey, I just I just got done with the sex. Uh, we got to figure out where these dead guys are. I mean, the crew members I totally care about. 
So they go back into the ship, and I think they are just walking around shouting in the corridors. Yeah, and, which to me, I guess if you had your helmets on, you wouldn't. that wouldn't work. But if you take them off, sure, you could. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the only way we can communicate <laughs> with the three cameras on everyone's suit, the heartbeat monitors, the walkie-talkies, like every piece of technology, and they are again wandering around shouting. I'm sure one of the cameras is pointing up at, like, the alien shape that's carved into the wall, which yeah. the alien doesn't exist yet. So why is that carving there? Uh, I, maybe it's their, this is your goal. Hey, we've got all this genetic goo. Let's work towards this <laughs> motivational poster. I don't know why that's there. Hey, good there, aliens. <laughs> so they wander around and then finally find them. But David is like, oh, one of your scanners is stuck. I'll go find it. And they're like, sure, whatever. So David goes wandering off yet again because no one recognized the murder glint in his eye. <laughs> uh, and so they're like, yeah, go, screw around, push buttons, do whatever it is He's going to see if he can kill more than one at a time yeah. at this point. So they go back to the uh, big trophy room, and they're like, hey, were all these things melted before? And was this genetic goo on the ground? Uh, Numi Rapace's husband-boyfriend guy starts breaking down then, and he's like, I don't feel so good. And she's like, oh, no, he's sick, we have to get back. They find one, uh, the biologist who had the fluke thing go down his throat dead there and i was like oh they're gonna be like oh he's not dead let's take him back to the ship chest bursting time no they're like oh no uh the other guy's sick let's all get out of here and i think they leave him i don't know that we see them carrying someone out and it's the boyfriend who's sick and yeah. like they just left the body behind what Where's the biologist? At least bring his body back and go, what the hell happened Well, who's going to examine it? The biologist yeah. is dead. There's a Scottish doctor, okay? <laughs> a human doctor. So, I was like, they're leaving and they're radioing David. David is, meanwhile, opening doors. The, the scanner keeps going and revealing now it's getting more metal-like corridors and not Earth. Uh, and it's got statues of the uh, Guardians guys. And he finally, it's now looking like a ship. And he gets to the bridge area and starts pushing buttons, and again, this holographic recorder thing pl starts playing where he sees them walk in and uh, sit down in the chair and start pushing buttons. I'm like, oh, he's going to watch which ones they push, and he'll learn how to fly the ship. No, the holograms are pushing the buttons. He doesn't have to. <laughs> and I'm like, why would you make a hologram data recorder thing that would then fly or do whatever it is you just did whenever you tried to watch it? So that does not make any sense. <laughs> and yet it brings up the big star map, which I was like, oh, I'm not seeing this in 3D or IMAX, but that looks pretty impressive and like it would be cool in 3D. Well, he, now here's a mistake I feel like they've made, and I've, I've, I've read about this elsewhere, and I'm surprised that these guys made this mistake. Three dimension, we see in three dimensions by more than just our binocular vision, by which I mean two eyes. And that, that's what the 3D is actually, it's actually called stereoscopic, because there's two eyes. There's other things like occlusion, which is just one thing standing in front of another, and you can see that the other thing is behind it, right? Right. So there, if you have something that your stereoscopic vision tells you is sticking out of the screen, but part of that thing is cut off by the edge of the screen, right. that means it must be behind the screen. So now you have two things going on at once. One stereoscopic says that it's in front of the screen, and occlusion tells you it's behind the screen, then you get sick. That's what happened Okay. a lot of the, the star map stuff. I was like, that. I'm not sure where this is. There's something wrong with this. And I figured out that's why. Oftentimes, like, uh, when a character, you know, throws a yo-yo out of the camera or something, like, it's 
you don't see the yo-yo string coming from behind the uh, the camera frame. Like, it's in center of frame, and the yo-yo comes center of frame and right. hits you right in the face. Like, there's a reason why that, that's, that's convincing. how it works. Yeah, I did notice that some of the planets float off to the side of the screen and then are cut off either slowly or half cut off and come back in. And that hard edge of the screen, I could see causing problems for it, occlusion. It's weird and confusing and, okay. a, and a little sickening. And then I'm uh, glad I didn't pay the extra money for the 3D and IMAX. So, yes. Uh, so, he, David starts looking around, and uh, they then radio saying, we're getting the hell out of here boyfriend's sick and he's like oh i wonder why that is <laughs> but he notices the uh cryopods around the deck of the ship and i'm like these look remarkably similar to what these guys just slept in and it's to a point where it's a little silly that they are exactly like that uh and then he walks up to one and sees uh one of the titans sleeping in it and actually moving or senses a heartbeat so he has what he came for and can now go back to the ship because he knows one of them's alive. Uh, then we get back to the rovers and the captain is driving up saying, I want those doors down. We got a sick man here. Get the doctor close to the bay. I want those doors. He says it like five times. It's absurd. Then he pulls up and guess what? The doors are not down. Why aren't <laughs> these doors down? And I'm like, are you the captain of the ship or are you not? Because these guys are not doing what you said. It's time. That's insurrection. You get to shoot them. <laughs> He then is calling, and we see inside the the hangar, now one of his guys is going like, oh, I'll get it, and he's running with her. I'm like, so it's not like Charlize Theron told all of them not to do it? This guy's just been on the, <laughs> the can or something? He's like, oh, I'll get to it. Yeah, uh, you've been calling for like half an hour, but still. He was smoking the space weed that the guy yeah, had in his helmet. apparently, and now Charlize Theron comes running, and I'm like, no! And I'm like, first off, she was over here in the ship, not like up on the bridge, pulling strings and being like, ha-ha, I can push buttons and make the doors not go down. Uh, she tells him no, then he, he's like, okay, well, I mean, you're a lady who talked to us once, and <laughs> this guy's been my captain for a while, but okay. So, Doesn't she have a gun? Uh, she picks up a flamethrower, which is a little threatening, but then she's like, now lower it. And she's flamethrowing at them and everything, and they're like, what are you doing? And she's like, he, everyone but him can come on board. I'm like, yes, that's how, again, uh, decontamination works. Is like, only the guy showing symptoms who went out and licked all the alien stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, the rest of you guys are probably fine. Especially the girl who I'm pretty sure went into his room last night. And, yeah. You know. None of you are also contaminated. And also, this scene was terrible, I thought, for Charlize Theron's character. I People are saying how robotic she was and everything. This one, she seems, like, flustered and pissed and is flamethrowing at random people. And I'm like, and just not calculated because she lowers the big hangar door and is now using the flamethrower. I'm like, you know what is a really good uh, way to not let people in? is leave the door up. Make them go around to the side door that has an airlock that we already... And just say, I'm only letting you guys in. I won't open the inner door until that guy's on the outside. You know, like, less confrontational of six people and me with a flamethrower. Uh, maybe I can keep them all in front of me. So, just terrible decision-making. Then uh, he's breaking down, right? Pretty and, quickly, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, oh, no, you know... And he's trying to get away from New Year Pace, and he's like, no, uh, do it. And he runs at her. I'm like, you know what else would be a little safer is not running up and having someone ignite you on the deck of their ship where they all have to go and the door closes with you inside. Just go over there take, into the earth and take your helmet off. Take your helmet off and die. We established yeah. that that's going to kill you. They said like 20 seconds or something for the argon gas to kill you or something like that. 
Five minutes? I don't know. Either argon? way. Really? Is that what they said? I think they said argon gas. Doesn't that glow in the dark? That's used in the neon lights and things, yeah. but yeah, I don't think you're, you're not supposed to breathe it. Right, no, so, <laughs> obviously not. So the point is that uh, he chooses the worst possible way to sacrifice himself, runs up on the deck, gets lit up, and he's now melting on the deck, and I'm like, they have to clean that up too? <laughs> like, this is the worst decontaminationing ever. Uh, and again, just poor decision making by everyone. And then I think we cut to Numi Rapace laying on a white table, and you know, we guess the time passed, and hope she didn't have to scrape him off the deck. <laughs> uh, and then David is talking to her, and she's being examined, um, and which is there's a human doctor. Why is the creepy murder <laughs> robot being the one to examine you? I guess they're talking about contamination, so he can't get infected. Uh, but he tries to take her cross, saying it could be contaminated. I'm like, I uh, that just doesn't fly. Rub so the horse is out of the barn on that. Yeah, one. <laughs> rub some Purell on it, there, guy. It clearly you mean I want to mind rape you some more, and I know how much this means to you. So I'm taking away everything you love. <laughs> he straight up says, "Oh, this I know your dad gave this to you." And she's like, "How do you know?" It's like, "Oh, I saw it in your dream. Is that okay with you?" I'm like, no, that's not okay. Why would you, like? Why would he reveal that? I thought it was a dark secret. Of, right. you know, even he would recognize that. But, yeah. You know, it's he, it's like you roofie someone and the next day you're like, how about that roofie, huh? <laughs> what, why would you tell me that? <laughs> I think he even mentions her dad died of Ebola and that must have been hard. And then he launches in with, this might even be hard. Did you have intercourse with that, you know, your boyfriend? Hmm? Oh, you're not going to reply because he's dead and I'm reminding of your dead father and stealing his cross? <laughs> Let's see what else. Here's a puppy, and I'm going to kill it in your arms. So, I don't know what his motivation here is, but he seems to be enjoying himself. <laughs> he then does a scan of her and says, oh my goodness, you're pregnant. She's like, no, that's not possible. He's like, yep, three months, I'd say. She's like, we only had sex ten hours ago. And he's like, but it's not a normal fetus then, is it? And she's like, I must see. And he's like, no, I don't think so. And turns the, camera, the, monitor, turns the monitor away. At this point... I'm waiting for it to be the scene from The Fly where Gina Davis is giving birth to a large pupae and then she wakes up screaming. And I was like, oh, it was just a dream. That did not happen, sadly, because that's what this joke was. And they missed the punchline. Like, <laughs> it was bad. And I was like, is it? now he has to, like, inoculate her, tie her up and say, like, oh, I'm shipping her off. You know, they've done this with the robots in the other movies is that the... The species is more important than the people. So he's good. he says, oh, I'm going to put you in cryostasis and we'll worry about it on Earth. And you're like, no, you're just preserving it. Ah, I get right, you. Yeah. He injects her and then apparently disappears because the uh, Scottish doctor and someone else come to retrieve her. I'm like, he clearly could have carried her himself. He's a freaking robot. So, but he had more important things to do, we found out. But so the doctor is trying to slap her awake. Uh, so that he can put her back to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and take her to the cryostasis tube. She then brains the Scottish doctor that she's been friends with and talking with and one other person with like an air cylinder. I'm like, they might be dead. <laughs> that was a good five pounds of metal you just hit them in the head with. She then goes scrambling through the hallways running in a, a Lilu Dallas bandages. Yeah, except the... What... <laughs> The impression I got from the fact that she was running was that she was being pursued, like, very closely. 
but at the end of this whole sequence, she comes out and uh, no one's around, no yeah. one's looking for her. It's like, what were you running from? Like I said, there are six people on this <laughs> ship. A couple of them have died already. So she runs to the the life pod where where Shelley Theron has a special like surgical bed that can do surgery automatically. And we dropped this hint way early on. It was ham-handed and just, oh, wow, you have one of these point. point. I assumed it was, it looked like a product placement, except for a thing that doesn't exist. Uh, she climbs in and there, or she's, she's like, oh, I want to have uh, an abortion or a C-section or something. And they're like, oh, this is a male one. Charlize Theron is a woman. It is her personal. Yeah, she bought it. Especially, she's like, there's seven of these in the world, and I got one. Uh, it's the male one. But still, like, it's pretty good. <laughs> the only thing I can think of for that, and it is fairly ridiculous uh, that she would have that there, but it was her father's. This is his life raft, and she's inhabiting it. But he was looking out only for himself, and that's maybe that's why she hates him. But it was his... And he bought it for him and didn't care about his daughter, so it's only set for him. Possibly, but if uh, if you're the medical company that's creating this amazing technology, uh, unisex? Yeah, or <laughs> if you're thing. her and you're like, now I'm in charge, he's in cryostasis for a couple years, uh, let's have this reprogrammed. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, most doctors are like, you know, there's... Neutral human covers 90% of men, but, like, you got to add extra stuff to women. But, like, it doesn't make it not work on men at that point. Like, you just flip a switch. I mean, like, it doesn't... We're not paying for a bunch of upgrades here. <laughs> so. Made no sense. So, so then she's like, oh, uh, I have... She sets it to, I was stabbed or something? Oh. Uh, yeah, like, uh, stabbed with a foreign body in, inside abdomen. Yeah, and I, I, it's not clear how it knows what to take out that because there's clearly no wound there so you'd think the robot computer surgeon thing would be like where's the hole i don't know what i'm even looking for like, it scans it i mean i i it felt like it was all but manual at that point she's tapping glass inside and just saying like yeah remove foreign body so something happens i guess and it, it pulls out a squid monster yeah that, i was like that doesn't look like a face hugger and then i went why was I expecting a face hugger? The guy drank the genetic material that's supposed to create an explosion of life and then had sex with her. Where does that equal squid monster face hugger? The first uh, life on Earth was a squid monster face hugger. And then it crawled up on the land and then like the people started to stand up straight. If right. I understand cartoons correctly. Yeah, I'm, there's a t-shirt with that. <laughs> so she finished, they finished the surgery and now she has to slide down past the face hugging squid thing. And it's supposed to be... Supposed to be tense or queasy, and you know, like, oh no, it's gonna get her. It did not feel as claustrophobic or important or impactful as the original Alien. Like, she gets out of it and she's slamming buttons saying decontaminate and everything, and she's huddling on the ground while it's thrashing against the glass. And I'm like, oh, there were scenes just like this in Alien where Ripley's trying to close the door and it's trying to get in, and there's sounds. And all we have is a shot of her face filling half the frame and then the small glass window filling the other half. And it is loud as hell. There's decompression going on. There's the screams of the alien. This one is a medium wide with her sitting there and going, ah, and it, it, it's a tiny thing that's going, and, and it's spraying the decontamination stuff. But I'm like, this is not scary. Like really? in the original, I felt like it was actually... Scary and claustrophobic and got your heart going. This one felt a lot further back. Really? That, it, to me, I was really, I was 
scared by the thing like and like it that part of it where where once it was being decontaminated and sprayed with i don't know whatever they spray it with Ly- lysol oh <laughs> uh i felt like it was a relief that it was done and that's what i was feeling from her so i it didn't feel like a mis, uh, misstep to me personally. well i think uh, maybe with the 3d her sliding down with it going by her face might have been i was like that's almost a little schlocky again i didn't see it in 3d but i'm like yeah maybe this was for them um but I felt like really, I didn't feel like once she was out that any danger had passed because I was like, this has to come to something. Like, it, she's not going to just take it out. And oh, you're saying during the while it was during the surgery part was not no. like freaking out? No, du- during either any of it. Really? Surgery, her sliding down. I was like, yeah, it, it's a little squirmy, but it's a little on the no, nose. No, during the surgery, I was freaking out, and I think everybody. I, I don't know if it was a 3D thing or if you're just a cold, cold. Apparently. <laughs> I've never had surgery, so I can't. Don't have flashbacks or something. But, but uh, well, I, mean, I should point out now that uh, your wife is uh, pregnant, um, there is that. And, and so uh, if she does have a C-section, that's what the baby does when you pull Bro, it out. Is that it thrashes around, and tries to latch onto your face. Oh, so uh, at the a- after all that, she comes outside and there's there's just no one in the hallway. And I was like, why did she have to lock the doors for this? Like. No one was looking for her. What's it did going also on? feel, by the way, just in terms of ship layout, she runs from the infirmary and then she's using the metal equipment, which I knew was in Charlie Theron's personal uh, pod. But I didn't feel like I was like, how did she get there so quick? Charlie Theron doesn't lock her door, and, you know. <laughs> like I thought it was in a different part of the ship. We just see a hallway and then she's pushing buttons on the the medical pod, and so I was like, that's in Charlie Theron's thing, right? And so. It is, because it comes up later, but yeah, she is now walking back through the halls, and they're like, no one? No one cares that I killed two people by the potential? <laughs> but they don't, because the old guy's awake now. It's more important. But even then, like, the old guy comes out, they should still be like, hey, what's with the surgery going on there? Like, that, was that there before? And I think at some point during all of this, the geologist shows back up, they go, hey... Those cameras we always ignore, one of them's pointing outside. He's right outside. We can now use it to locate people magically. So the guy who who I think was the gun guy walks out and goes, Hey, look, he's all folded up in a pile with his legs over his head. That's weird. Do you guys see this? And turns his back on him. (laughs) Like he stands within six inches of it and then turns around. And then I'm like, oh, this is going to get crazy and he's going to be all crab-like or something. Yeah, I thought I was expecting like a scene from The Thing where it's... Human parts moving in unnatural ways. No. no. He just does a yoga stand, and now he's standing up, and yet he's got a big old head, kind of like the bad guy in Green Lantern, you know, like when he's, his brain's getting big. And I'm like, what is that from? This is the geologist, not the guy that got the fluke down, so the biologist. That guy, they just left. This guy fell into the goo, though. Yeah, this so. guy, his mask melted, he fell into the goo, and I'm like... And then, like, if we learned anything from the goo, you're supposed to explode into, you know, genetic material and create life on a planet. Well, the goo does something different to everyone every single time, as far as I can tell. It is magical goo. So, he apparently inherited the rage-filled Cro-Magnon parts of the goo, which, again, is kind of, like, closer to the earlier beginnings of life, but... I don't know why he regressed. So he's got a big old head, and he starts smashing people with his fists and leaping. And at this point, he's feeling like the bad guy from Sunshine, where it's just like, oh no, space madness and (laughs) rage, and he's got super strength or something. Well, look, science fiction has taught me that 
any uh, artificial intelligence, when it becomes self-aware, immediately wants to kill everyone. Right. And if you're in space for any length of time, at least there's like a one in ten chance of someone going insane. Like, that's just space madness. It happens. Yeah. Like, no, they have... This is the next morning, so <laughs> they have been here a good 12 hours. Uh... Yeah, so he, for whatever reason, the goo made him go insane and rage kill at least three of the red shirts that we'd never never had a line. And I went, these guys were on the ship? So then finally one they of them... were hiding in the corner, not obeying orders. <laughs> that was probably the best idea ever. Just don't go licking things if you're already light years ahead of all the scientists. Uh, so they get killed, and finally one of them, they're shooting uh, electro phaser guns at them, which I'm like... It's odd that they busted out what the guns do at this late stage. <laughs> yes. Like, if you had come in early and been like, we got these guns, and shoot them off, and then the scientist is like, no, we don't want electroplasmid rifles, then I would be like, oh, this feels justified. We learned what those were earlier. And also, jumping back into this as part of a series, didn't they just have regular bullets and aliens in, in the so. James in the Cameron future, one? Yeah, in the future. Which is compared like to 200 this. years or something, right? Yeah. Because she's lost in space for some time between one and two. So, yeah, yeah I mean, like... I don't know if we'll ever switch from bullets to lasers, but I don't think we'll switch from bullets to lasers and then back again. Well, you know, uh, some people like the classics. Oh, uh, so they're retro marines. Exactly. Hipster this is a high-end uh, spaceship with scientists and stuff. They get the electro bullets. So uh, that it, one thing that you did actually bring up um, was the thing earlier. And when uh, Charlize Theron was flamethrowing uh, Numi Rapace's boyfriend on the deck of the ship, it did remind me a lot of the thing because they it a this whole movie reminded me a lot of the prequel of, of the thing that came out about ten months ago, which was also called the thing. Yeah, and it, what they should have done was what uh, what they did with the Fast and the Furious, and the the later movie was just called Fast and Furious. Uh, they should have just called this prequel thing, and then like we could at least distinguish well, no, by the article. <laughs> you, you missed the point there because it's the first one or before it should have been called the. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, The Thing had the prequel, which, again, was a 1970s small, crafted sci-fi horror movie uh, that's kind of, like, in the dark and based on what's out there, and there's a shape-shifting alien crashes to Earth, someone awakens it years later, it, uh, I think, even does a Venus flytrap eating of the person, then becomes them, uh, and then wants to just spread and take over. The xenomorph thing here is a grabs your face and face hugs, then the chestburster is part you, it adapts to whatever you are, and then uh, this, again, in the original Alien, it's a ship that is clearly the Titans or whatever here, and the, the alien was just hitching a ride, or it's what took them out. Same with the thing. They find the ship and they're like, wait, this isn't, whatever killed them wasn't, or whatever this is, wasn't what was flying the ship. These guys were infected with something. And then they only have flamethrowers to deal with it. In both that and this. So she's flamethrowing them on the deck. I, I mean, the original Alien, the flamethrower was the main thing because they weren't military and they didn't have guns. But it made me think more of the thing and just liken these two things. And both those 1970s movies got a prequel like this that is like, hey, let's jazz up some of the uh, special effects and everything. So, yeah. <laughs> very similar. The, I had not noticed all of those parallels, but those are all definitely very true. Uh but the one that I think the biggest difference for me is that there were there is that big sequence in the original The Thing where they go back to the uh, Swedish or Norwegian I can't remember uh, base and and it's all like blown up and messed up. And you're like I wonder what happened here. And then 
the prequel thing sort of shows it answers literally that like every single like hole in the wall or bit of fire is is explained in the prequel, which is sort of interesting and not necessarily necessary, but at least there, there was a question that I had. Yeah. In Alien, they find the space jockey, that I think is what they call it, and there's a chest burst out of him. I was like, okay, there was a guy on a ship, an alien burst out of his chest. Thank you. <laughs> there was no question of what happened here. Yeah, like I didn't, like Ridley Scott in a lot of his interviews, he was like, you know, it's interesting. He actually said, it's interesting what uh, Jim and David and the French guy did. Like that's how he addresses them. But nobody ever asked what was up with the space jockey. And I, I couldn't believe that. Like no one had that question. And I was like, there was, we had everything that we needed to see. Yeah. Like there were, I didn't have any, any question at all. And granted, like you, you could have done what the Thing prequel did and, like, followed the aliens around, or the, followed the Titans around getting attacked by the Xenomorph alien, and then it would have been the exact same movie. Right, and it would have led up to this and been an actual prequel. Right. And instead, it's, now it's just this weird, like, it happened, it's in the same universe, but not really, I don't know. It's, well, yeah. The Thing, the, the Thing about the duology thing. at least uh had some continuity that i, I understood why it happened this I, i'm honestly not sure why this movie is even an alien movie like why not just make, make a new it? one yeah yeah no i respect the thing a little more it didn't try for as lofty a 2001 ask big questions or as pretty a imax 3d iceland shots it just went for, we want to make a story of what happened before this and then line it up, like you said, shot by shot to end right beforehand. I'm like, you did exactly that. You accomplished your goals. <laughs> Good job. Your degree of difficulty was not as high, but you hit them spot on. Like in gymnastics, whereas this one had a huge degree of difficulty and they didn't hit it. And I'm like, I'm deducting 10 points. <laughs> like, because you reach so high and it's like, if you had just had more reasonable goals in mind... You would have succeeded more. Yeah. Uh, but the that was the whole flamethrower uh, thought process I had on that was that it was very similar. Um, and then we finally get to uh, the old guy waking up. Yeah, so catching up, the, the old guy's awake. And I, at first I was like, who is this guy? Oh, he's the guy from the movie. Like, it it's like an hour and a half or two hours into the movie at this point when he wakes up. Except for the part where David was talking to them, and it was obvious to everyone but you that it was in the cryo chamber. But, uh, so yeah, he wakes up, and I'm not kidding, he, he starts talking, and I go, I recognize this person. <laughs> who, who is it? Is this? And I'm like, is it Michael Fassbender just in makeup? And they made him, you know, he made him in his own image because he wanted the robot as a son. And I'm like, no, somebody else. And yet his voice sounds like a... Like a British, like John Hurt trying to do an Al Pacino Southern accent. <laughs> it was. Like, this is hard to place. <laughs> and like, that was bugging me more. Than, I'm like, oh, he's talking about stuff. And so, uh, but uh, Michael Fassbender has a couple more lines in there. And Numi replaces like, what's going on? And this might be why no one was pursuing her. Is that big stuff's happening. The dead guy's alive. And he's in charge of all of us. So everyone's over here. Yeah, forget about her. She killed some people. And maybe there's an alien side. I don't care. <laughs> Rich guy's alive. So, it's the one percent. So nice, <laughs> and he does seem to have like four more guys around. And I'm like, we've never seen these guys. Were, did he have a security detail in cryostasis too, or are these just again the last of the red shirts that we never met? Yeah, I mean, it's weird that they give us a number seventeen, but we don't see everybody. So it's hard to say are these extra guys on top of the seventeen, 
or were they part of the 17 and then in which case what were they pretending to do this whole time if they're really there to take care of the the old rich guy so like it didn't yeah, it was a little and weird. why is it that only four guys on your ship are actually in the know, of, or even if they weren't in the know, towing the company line of doing what they're told? And everybody, <laughs> like that should be enough. Four out of seventeen. The, the other ones, you know, let them run around and do whatever they want. <laughs> um, but so they explain that uh, he's a- alive, or they they woke him up so that he can go talk to the makers. And she's like, "They're all dead. We checked for forty five minutes." And David's <laughs> like, "I found one alive." Uh, and he compliments her. I think I liked his interaction with her because he's like, you uh, survived. You've got some fight in you. Or he notices the surgery and he admires her pluck in evading his attempts to kill her. And then cryostasis frees her so that the alien baby inside her could grow and he could poke it with his fingers or rip it out <laughs> by hand because that's what he does. I was about to say study it, but that doesn't describe what it is he does. So they decide uh, they're going to go to the ship, but first they have to have a scene where the old guy gets some some power legs strapped on. And Charlize Theron, we told you, we talked about this, where she comes in, she's like, why can't you die? Kings have a reign, and then they let it come to the end, and then it's my turn! And she goes, father, bum, bum, bum. It was not a reveal. Yeah, it would have been, yeah, no, it was definitely not a reveal, and honestly, it, like I said, it doesn't make it there. He should have called her princess or something, like... It would have been more interesting. So she sa- he says, well, why did you even come? You should stay in the boardroom. And it's clear she was, uh, was going to say, because I want to please you. And he just looks away from her. <laughs> You're always a disappointment. Like, wow. Like, the killer robot is not the only one wearing his emotions on his face. Like, <laughs> this is where he learned it from. So they ask uh, Numi Rapace if she wants to go in. And she's like, I have to know. So she's suiting up, even though she's got the, the wound in her stomach. And uh, Idris Elba is like, don't go. Yeah. This actually sort of reminds me again of the various uh, things that I've seen written by Damon Lindelof, where nobody seems to remember what's happened for the rest of the last, you know, hour and a half or two hours of movie. Like, nobody's freaked out about the zombie guy. Nobody's worried that half of the crew is dead. Or that... The robot tried to kill her. She's like, okay, I'll go. Nobody, yeah, nobody is, nobody remembers what just happened. Like, it's, it's, this movie is going so, f- looking f- ahead constantly, and nobody has any chance to reflect on anything, which is weird, because if they're trying for the 2001, like, contemplative thing, there's no contemplation going on in this movie. I could see that being an actual critique, or, you know, on purpose of... Like, when they get there, they're so fixated on the goal, they're like, quick, run inside! Yes, there's a killer storm coming, but um, in the movie, or in the book Congo, which got made into a terrible movie... (laughs) But uh, it did have Bruce Campbell for five minutes, That's true. It's worth watching for that. He's like, look at these diamonds, baby! Yeah! That is literally, I think, his line, (laughs) and he's supposed to be the scientist again. And uh, it's pretty ridiculous, but he, it's terrible. He always is. So the, the you can't book, blame him. No, no, it's their fault for casting it. But in the book, the uh, the, the book was much better. But yeah, uh, the Lara, Laura Linney character, uh, Laura Dern uh, <laughs> uh, character is supposed to be much younger and a genius. But and she like hacks into her own company profile because she's hired right out of college by this company and she's a, literally a genius. She hacks a profile and says uh, must be monitored in late stages of projects because she will make compromised decisions when goal is in sight and that ends up screwing them in the end because she is trying to get at the diamonds and places a bunch of dynamite in the uh, volcano and is like we'll blast the diamonds out of here and the 
the guy who's the specialist with monkeys or whatever is like, why are you putting dynamite in a volcano? And the monkey pushes a button to set off the dynamite and the volcano erupts. So this feels like that, <laughs> where they're like, there's the goal, quick, just tramp, throw everything you know out the window. And that's the whole movie because the whole thing is one big goal in front of them. It's, hey, uh, we're going to find out the secrets of life. Hey, there's an alien there. Oh, that's so cool. I'm going to drop all my provisions. I'm going to forget all my decontamination, anything I might have learned. Not bring any guns. Yeah. So they, that could be, in this instance, an explanation, but it I, in no way would override all the terrible decisions they made throughout. I could just see why she's maybe forgiving all the, the attempts at murder, the people that are dead, her dead boyfriend, husband, all that. She's like, I can finally know the answer, maybe. So she's trying to salvage something, I think. Eh, maybe. No, yeah, that only goes so far for me, too. And then... The but one... it's, also, it's also the fact that... Sorry. It's also the fact that no one else is thinking about anything else, either. Like, nobody remembers anything that happened yeah. previously. And what I just described with her whole emotional turmoil causing amnesia and everything, every single one of them seems to have that. Like, Charlie Theron's like, my dad's here now. Oh, he, you know, like all her toughness goes out the window when he's around. That's why she didn't maybe change his cryopod to maybe operate on women because he would get angry at her, even though she could just go pull the plug on him at any time. So, uh, yeah, each of them seems to have a really fucked up psychosis thing going on that maybe could explain this, except for the extras and <laughs> Idris Elba who comes in and says, don't go, this is stupid. <laughs> um, and he actually goes into what I... Can, the only thing I can think of that is the explanation of this whole movie is that he's like, this isn't their planet. Do you see anything around? This is a military installation, and they're smart enough to develop weapons of mass destruction far away from where they live. And it's like, oh, so that's what they did. They apparently made us in a Petri dish by sending one of their guys out to disintegrate as test subjects for weapons that are the genetic goo that evolves into the xenomorph to test how good it is at killing? Question mark. They were going to send it to our planet when we were good and ready uh, and up to being humans and just see if they could kill it so they could use it on their enemies. Uh, that's all I can think of in terms of what the hell this storyline is about and why we exist. Yeah, I mean, that, and that whole development process doesn't quite make sense because they say we have the same DNA as the Titan people. Yeah. Well, when he fell apart, he created life in the early stages that then evolved into us. Right. We just happen to evolve into the same... We, is that how it works? Yeah. And right. then if we have the same DNA, why are we not eight feet tall and hairless? Yeah. And blue slightly? Did you see the uh, the planet they were on? The size of the mountains and everything? You grow to the size of... Oh. The, uh, <laughs> like a fish in a fish tank. It won't grow bigger in a small fish tank. You move it to a bigger fish tank, it'll grow... Uh, things limit based on their environment. So... I'm fine with that. Either way, Idris Elba says, oh yeah, weapons mass destruction. I'm like, that's actually a really good idea. That's probably what this whole movie's about. Thanks for summing that up. Like, <laughs> uh, And it's still, you know, they, she's still like, but I still want to know. You know, want to ask them why. And I'm like, fine. Some people are never satisfied. Uh, so they, he says, I can't let that stuff back on here. And so at this point, you got up and left because you had your answer. Your yeah, answer. I was like, <laughs> that's the end of the movie. Uh... But he says that he can't let that stuff back on here or let it get to Earth. And she's like, I hope you don't. You know, and she's like, oh, good. Even if that means killing me or us and everyone. So uh, that was a good interaction. Again, I liked their characters right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, prior decisions, terrible. 
So they, uh, she once again gets on the dune buggies to go into the ship. Well, she she knows that she's safe because there's no one left for Idris Elba to have sex with and get distracted. That's true. Uh, so they all go into the ship, and David is taking them along, punching up stuff. And then uh, he looks when the uh, star map scene was going. He looked like a kid in a candy store. He was like all but rubbing his face and you know <laughs> into the stars, and being like ooh. Because he knew he was doing a good job. He's going to get rewarded for this. And so he's coming along smugly, showing everyone the things and how to bring up the star map and everything. And then he wakes up. They they go over and they're like, oh, let's wake up the Titan guy. So he gets up and I think he almost starts to vomit exactly like they did when they got out of the cryo right. tube. And I was like, yes, we get it. We're the same. And the cryo tubes are apparently the same. Like, <laughs> why is this necessary? So then... Um, she starts yelling at the guy as soon as he wakes up. Like, why did you make us? You know, and just screaming. And the old guy is like, shut her up. I have to talk to him. I'm important because I'm rich. And I want to know how to live forever. Like, and he's, he's talking and she's talking. I'm like, why is the robot who can speak the language not talking? Why are we assuming that the robot can speak the audible language that we have not heard at any point? Uh, there is... is, on our current planet, there is a written language for Chinese, and there's two ways to say You can say Cantonese, or you can say Mandarin. They can't speak to each other, but they can write a language down. Even if we do suppose, which I think is ridiculous, that he could translate the written language, hmm. how the fuck does he know how it sounds? He watched a lot of YouTube videos <laughs> while they were asleep, and he was studying every language on Earth for the phonetics and then matching them up to what the pairs were and the basic uh, thrust of all human language, including it looked like some of the earliest ones. And so it's like, oh, you know, uh, Iroquois or whatever, the first spoken language has to be closer to these guys than, you know. Well, there uh, is no reason to think that that's true. <laughs> right. Uh, except for the one thing that I didn't bring up, Biden, do, is that they... Um, Set us up as a petri dish to trust out their weapons and everything. Guy drinks the ooze, spawns all life on Earth. And then they show up every 180 years to some primitive people to point at the sky and then go home. And we've now established point at the sky at not their planet, but here's where the... Just in case we don't come back to kill you all, here's a planet. Find go us. Kill. We don't really want to come here and, and test it here, so... Come find us when you guys are ready to be experimented on is pretty much the what I got out of this movie. And yet again, they were showing up to all these points because all the cave paintings had a tall man pointing at these stars that are not visible. So he had to show up and tell them, hey, so actually, never mind. You could just speak Iroquois or Arabic to him because he showed up and talked to those people enough to describe what the stars were. They speak our languages. Probably. So, that's true. Well, that just because, I mean, I know people that know four or five languages. I don't know four or five languages. You can't assume just because other people in this species know that our languages doesn't mean he does. Fine. So, <laughs> this is the pilot guy. And so David starts speaking to him in uh, ancient Choctaw or something. I'm picking on the Native Americans. Sorry, I can't. Uh, in uh, Sumerian. So, uh, the guy looks at him all, like, you know, uh, benevolently and, and strokes his cheek. And I'm like... He, there's nothing saying he understood him. He then proceeds to rip his head out and bludgeon the old guy with his son, his robot son's head. And I was like, that was awesome. <laughs> One other point, right as uh, the old guy looked up to see uh, the, what was about to see, the makeup stretched out on his neck to where it was laying flat. I'm like, that's Guy Pierce. <laughs> it's Guy Pierce, everyone. I was wondering the whole time. Uh, so then he gets bludgeoned. They're on the ground. Uh, and I was like, was that, are they pissed that they just, uh, 
rifle butted the girl like he's defending her he then punches her she goes flying against the wall and then i think he stomps on the the scottish doctor lady and her guts come out her mouth or something i'm like what (laughs) is he pissed that they woke him up or like it's like what uh what do you say to your maker you know what would your creator say to you and it's die (laughs) like does they're just a savage race that kills on sight because they don't like stuff <laughs> well it's also the, because of the line about uh everybody wants to kill their parents and the stuff about the and the pregnancy stuff with Numi Rapace I assume they want us to read this as a as a parental relationship that they are our parents and then we are the parents of the robots um you know species wide um, but I'm not sure if I understand uh, the grandparent beating the child with the grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is that a thing that happens? Totally. I mean, cultures. maybe in other cultures. I don't want to judge other cultures. No, but yeah. Uh, what, I don't know what is, how I'm supposed to translate that. Like the it, wanting your parents, wanting to replace your parents and, and move up in the world so they have to die. Like, I understand like psychologically what they're going for there, but the... The grandparent beating the child with the grandchild. I don't know what I'm supposed to un- what I'm supposed to read that as. Yeah, I just w- really was lost when that started happening. I was like, although, like you said, it was kind of awesome. They ripped up and he's still talking while they're. So uh, <laughs> he, I was literally just going. Apparently, our creators are dicks. You know, <laughs> like just rage filled. I mean, the the. Uh, the geologist who fell in the goo showed up all rage-filled in Cro-Magnon, so maybe these guys, even though they have advanced technology, they just really like roiding out on stuff. Uh, So either that, or the only thing I can think of is that they kind of, you know, said, um, with David interacting with Nunez Rapace's boyfriend, like, why did you guys create me? Because we could. And then Idris Elba saying, oh, this is a weapons testing, we're essentially the, the lab rats. I was like, I guess... You know, like they experiment on it, so they it's not like you mean harm towards a lab rat, you're just experimenting on it. So, it was even with that, I was like confused why this guy's like, ah, die, I seem to be taking pleasure in this, versus yes, we inject cancer into lab rats because it might benefit us. I didn't see the benefit here for him in any well, way. Well, I mean, is he like you said, like lab rats, if you're a scientist and you're experimenting on lab rats, and then you get woken up by rats climbing on your face, like you would. Freak out and step on them, I guess. But I guess you wouldn't sit there and listen to it squeak for a minute first before you go. Like, oh, these are those lab rats. They followed me home. All that genetic testing made their brains bigger to where they could read my address. Stomp. <laughs> like, I could see Yes being freaked out. Have you out. seen the rats of Noom? Because I think that was like right. the alternate ending. <laughs> so the point is that, yes, maybe we are lab rats and he just stomped on us, but he seemed to be taking glee in it again, like yeah, he caressing did. David's cheek. And then he literally, like, hops over. Well, he's got a skip in his step, and he hops over to the pilot seat and starts punching stuff up, and he's going to Earth. And I was like, what? So you, all your, all your guys here on this military installation died, like, a couple of hundred years back. You fell back to the, the safe room, went to sleep, then went, all right, so I got woken up. Everyone else is dead. I don't know what's going on with my home planet or anything, but I sure want to kill a lot more <laughs> of these lab rat people. Like, I am going there to just wail on some asses. I can just, oh, I'm going to stomp on them. I'm going to rip heads off and beat at more people with other heads. Like, <laughs> what is his motivation for going to Earth? 
Is, is it just dedication? He's going to complete the mission? I was going to say, did he, I think he had the mission, but that's that's the closest thing that I can think of. I, that is some dedication on our our forefathers' parts there uh, to be like, I am the last one maybe left in my species. Uh, this science experiment that I was one participant in bringing fruition, this is the most important thing now, you know? Uh, the only thing I can think of is that that is kind of what Numi Rapace, you know, does in the end. Is she's like, I'm going to keep going, even though everyone else is dead. So maybe, but he did not seem like a true believer, unless he was believing in killing some fools. <laughs> like, it just seemed like glee and torment. And he believed wanted. the hell out of killing everyone. Yeah. So that is a dumb explanation. It, <laughs> uh, uh, it would work, not in this movie, uh, in maybe that helper monkey movie or like Jack Frost, the horror one, you know, like that. Yeah, I could totally get into that. Uh, it's like, oh, we meet our creators and they're pissed, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So he uh, starts firing up the ship. Numi Rapace has to now run for her life to get out in time. The exhaust ends up blowing her out to the surface. But uh, David is, I think, telling her, hey, he's targeting Earth. And you're like, well, that's helpful of him to still be around in the talking head that is required in all alien movies, <laughs> uh, where the robot gets bisected on the head and then is still helpful. <laughs> um, and I think Guy Pierce has one more line of, like, what a disappointment or something. You know, he's so sad. And then the robot says, I'm sorry, Father. Um, and then I wondered. Why was this guy Pierce? He is now dead, and we didn't see him young the entire time. Like, why go, hey, you know who uh, would make a really good old guy? Guy Pierce. <laughs> like, no, you know who would make an old guy? An old guy. <laughs> I well, mentioned the, John Hurt. He would be awesome in this role. There, uh, There's YouTube videos. Right. No, uh, There's a TED Talk. That, that since then, I have seen the viral videos. They add nothing. <laughs> so I realized that, and I think maybe they shot some scenes for the movie that were cut, or maybe these were them and they released them as viral videos. Still, I mean, and it makes sense for the casting. Like, if you look back and go, oh, well, they probably had those in mind, and so they're like, yeah, we need them to play young and old, and then maybe they cut the scenes. But It's also possible that we don't know where this, we sure as hell don't know where this ended, so we don't know where this movie is going in a sequel. Yeah. So maybe there's... Flash, maybe they're going to do like a Godfather 2 thing where it's like a prequel and a sequel to the prequel. Yeah, I could definitely see them going with that because they ended with the coda of the Wayland uh, Industries logo and the date. So it seems to be coming back to him and the viral videos are of him. But in the theater, I was like, we're not we're not going to see him young. The The creator guy didn't wasn't going to touch his face and go, hey, I'm Guy Pierce, regular age. Ha, cha, cha. <laughs> like, uh, that's not happening. Yeah, he's dead. All right, it's not happening, people. So, uh, Numi Rapace gets up to the surface and has to yell Prometheus a number more times uh, because they were in the trailers. And she's now asking Idris Elba to, like, we have to stop him. If he gets to Earth, he will kill everyone. So Idris Elba's like, what? And she's like, you have to stop him. And he's like, this is not a military ship. And she's like, anything. And he's like, all right, it's time to go, people. We're going to ram into that ship. Charlie's there, and you got, like, 30 seconds to get out of here. And uh, she starts running, but I'm like, he ejects her pod before she's in. I'm like, well, she's not in it. But then she's acting like she gets in a different pod. I'm like, okay, she's just going to have to go spacewalk to it or something. So uh, meanwhile, Numi Rapace is running over the surface and jumping. And I swear, the, the vents opening, same as in the Thing prequel. The ship does end up it taking does. off. It does. It's very similar. And even the shape of the ship and the thing of like, oh, no, the alien thing is going to fly the ship. Um that was also very similar. So, uh, lots of flashbacks. She's jumping over stuff. 
Idris Elba uh, says to his two guys, you can cut out too. And they're like, nope, we got a bet going or something. Yeah. <laughs> and you were pointing out the Asian guy is actually from the movie Sunshine. Uh, he's the one that screws up the coordinates and ends up killing their captain or whatever who has to go out and fix the thing manually. Like, that's who you want, pilot, <laughs> doing navigation on your ship? I want, I am actually wondering if he's an actual like starship captain and they, he's go. a he's a technical advisor and they're like oh I'll give him a couple lines too. I'm well I'm thinking it's like you said all uh, characters are their previous <laughs> thing so that sunshine thing didn't work out I hope they'll take me on here. <laughs> like, uh, so anyway Idris Elba is like all right we'll we'll fire off our ion drive in the atmosphere and that'll be enough even though we don't have guns. As far as I can tell, they don't do that. Like, the ship starts taking off, yeah, and he just runs into it. <laughs> He's like, I thought you were going to ignite the atmosphere or something. Yeah, like nothing you were talking happens guy. with that. And he also is again, got his trucker cap sideways. He's like, hands up, everybody. I'm like, you are the worst captain ever. He was, you know, he had qu everything quirky about him. He had a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. I don't know the guys. And Stephen Stills, Squeeze Box. And uh, it's, he was saying, love the one you're with, you know, like... Uh, with A, sleeping with Charlie Theron, and then right as he's about to crash into the thing, and I guess he loves the two guys with him. <laughs> I'm going to say that's also a metaphor for, like, what they should have done. Instead, <laughs> like, instead of seeking out your creator, just love the ones you with back on Earth, because your creator's just going to smash you in the head with your robot son. <laughs> like, so, I don't know if that was a you theme. Don't, you don't call your dad very often, do you? Right. Uh, so... It's, uh, he smashes into it, and I was like, oh, finally I see where this is going to end up with the uh, lining up with Alien. They're going to wing that ship. It's going to limp its way to the next asteroid where Ripley and them find it. But the genetic goo will have gotten him, and that's where the chestburster comes in. I'm like, all right, this, we can salvage this. And then Newman <laughs> Pace is just going to hang out on the planet and be like, I got two years to record crazy messages and what have you, and then uh, something will happen. Maybe the other guys will come down and be more benevolent. Be more benevolent and go, that guy was actually a dick. We <laughs> sent him out here because no one liked him. He just keeps killing everything. So you come with us and we'll get all the answers. Um, instead, they hit the ship and it crashes right back down. I'm like, this is not the asteroid that they find it on. How is he, he going to make it to wherever? And so uh, it lumbers and comes rolling down like a big donut. Both <laughs> Numi Rapace and Charlie Saren have to run from They him. start running like Elmer Fudd from a tree that's falling over. They do that indeed. Neither one of them <laughs> goes left or right until like, Numi Rapace trips and like accidentally rolls it up like, why didn't you do that in the first place? Run 90 degrees to it. I realize it's like maybe the island of Manhattan or something falling at you to where you're like, I don't know how to process it. Like, where is there safe to go? So it sounds difficult, so I give them that. But then Charlize Theron starts running, trips, and then is scooting backwards saying, no, 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 no. And I'm like, how is that helping anything? Like, that is so, like, tired of a cliche that it demeans her character right before it dies. And I'm like, really? Uh, Numi Rapace pretty much does the same thing. She rolls sideways, but then it starts falling the other way. And she's like, no, 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 no. But she backs up to a rock... That has a crevice just big enough for her. And I don't mean like a boulder. You know, this thing is, again, the size of Manhattan falling at her. There's like a four-foot rock that she's wedged up against, and that stops it. Yeah. And I was like, what? But it's far from the worst logic problem with this movie. So she then scoots out, and it's like, well, I may as well go back to the pod, you know. And I'm like, all right, we're just going to wrap out again. Two years of sustaining and then death. Uh... 
So, and then she gets to the pod, and it's all messed up. And in the in the surgery room, she finds Starro the Conqueror in there. Nice. That's the second Starro the Conqueror reference <laughs> we've made in this podcast. Well, okay. now it's clear, yeah. and I don't have to explain it this right. time. Uh, yeah, no, when she decontaminated that thing, by the way, we had a lingering shot on it just not moving, but some, like, liquid dripping off it. I'm like, yeah, there's no way that's going to come back later. <laughs> uh, so this was uh, not a surprise. Um, even though, again, I thought she was just going to chill. I, the, with as many plot holes as the movie had, I was like, no, they could just drop that alien squid thing off and it wouldn't even make a dent in the problems. Uh, but no, they have it brought it up again. Well, it sort of reminded me, the, the <clears throat> at the end of Alien, the, uh, Alien originally ended with she gets on the escape pod and they fly away and they were like, you know what, let's... This movie's a little short. <laughs> Let's see if we can stretch this out. And then the alien turns out it was on the life pod. And Ridley Scott was sort of fascinated with this idea that it was, instead of a three-act movie, it's a four-act movie. Ooh. And at the time... What like, a twist. We sort of expect... Yeah, you say that sarcastically now. Right. But in 1979, it was pants-shittingly scary because yeah. you really weren't expecting that. But now it's like... Well, it's an alien movie, so I, I bet the Starro is going to be hiding in there and it's going to jump out at her. Life pods do seem, ironically, <laughs> to not help sustain life in his movies or this franchise. So, yes, I was not surprised by that uh, part. And then, uh, and yet, she gets in there, she's like, oh, no. And then David's like, he's coming for you. And I'm like, what? Who the... And he's like, he's coming for you. And I'm like, are you talking about the Titan guy? Like, his bloodlust is insatiable. He's just like... I bet something crashed into me. I bet that bitch had something to do with it. Like I haven't killed anything yeah. in nearly five minutes. And how does he know where she is? Like, is he the only one that's like, you guys have GPS on you, you realize? <laughs> like, they they don't know that with their ship, but he's like, I can read that. So David sees him hop out of the pilot seat and storm out of the room angrily with the bloodlust rising. He's like, he's co he must be coming for you. There's no one left on the planet to kill. Uh, so yeah, that's happening. <laughs> and he says it, and the guy's, like, bursting in the doors. And yeah, like, why, why doesn't the guy go to... There's more of than these. this one ship. Yeah. What, Just go to another ship and take out whatever you're he doing. He has to kill her <laughs> for vengeance. That lab rat pissed him off. He has no way of even knowing that she's still alive. It does not make any sense. He bursts through. She has a, a weird recurve fire axe. And uh, so he bursts through, and she... Hits the button that says, die, you son of a bitch, or some other Jaws-like line, and hit, hits the open door button on the, the medical bay to where the uh, giant squid comes out and is wrestling with him. Uh, wrestling with him like Captain Nemo. Uh, and so I'm like, ah, oh, Titan versus a Titan. <laughs> uh, and so uh, she narrowly wriggles out of it, and I was like, all right, now we finally get a face hugger. It's going to envelop him, and now we're going to get a, the first xenomorph that we're recognized. So... That part, I was like, at least we're dovetailing into the series here. And I'm like, wait, no, how does this get to the other <laughs> damned asteroid? This doesn't, it doesn't do anything. It's a slightly different one. So apparently you're right that that's what all black goo eventually ends up as a xenomorph, if it just goes through enough animals. But yeah, and... Yeah, like, what is, what is the point of it coming out there if... It has not if it's if it's not the one that we eventually see later on in the series. Uh, apparently, it's going to make its way over to those other three buried ships, which probably have dudes just working, taking their lunch breaks, and you know, cranking out. Did you guys hear something? Yeah. <laughs> what is going on at Phil's ship? That, 
Big explosion. You know what? Phil gets so angry when yeah. you wake him up. Let's not. Let's so, just stay in our ship. Either way, it's in uh, incubating in his chest, but then uh, Numi Rapace falls out on the thing, and she's got 30 seconds of air left or something. She had that when she was going in, and yet she's outside crying for at least 30 seconds. Like, did she grab more air? She grabbed, like, soda can-sized things. Was that air? It was not clear, but she's crying, but it almost looks like laughing. And then David starts talking to her in his creepiest voice, because without his body, he gets even creepier. <laughs> He's like, hey, if you come and rescue me, there are other ships. I can fly them. And she's like, no, David was... And he's like, please. And she... So she finally goes in and gets him and is lowering his body. And I'm not kidding. His body is doing C-3PO movements <laughs> from when he is torn apart on it Cloud really City. Like and it's, his arms are moving. And I'm like, is this another Star Wars joke? Uh, but so she picks him up and they she's lowering him into another ship. She puts him into a duffel, his head into a duffel bag, which was the most hilarious thing of this movie. I don't know if it was supposed to be funny or not, but when, when she she says something nice to him and then, like, zips it up and, like, the zipper hits his nose. He apologizes for trying to kill her or something, and she's like, that's okay, and pats his cheek or something. This is, like, a creepy... I mean, it's supposed to be, like, a creepy family, you know, thing, and they're talking in soft tones. Uh, I don't know if you were saying it's an eight heads in a duffel bag movie <laughs> reference because this is chock full of references all of a sudden. But I actually felt it was even more like AI, which I said his performance reminded me of Jude Law in it. But AI just didn't end. It was uh, going and like Spielberg does, but the Haley Joel Osment gets locked in some ice and then aliens show up and then the teddy bear, you know, is still with him. And I was like, this is feeling a bit like that. Uh, so she puts his head in a duffel bag and lowers him down and then... It, or it was feeling Douglas Adams like at this point, where uh, he's like, "Where do you want to go?" And she's like, uh, "He's like, we'll take, I'll take us back to Earth." And she's like, "No, there's nothing left for me there. I want to go where they came from." And uh, so the ship takes off, and I'm like, "Well, this is there's the sequel for you." I mean, and again, maybe she'll find that not all of them are murderous dicks, and they're the whole utopia, and she'll get answers. I sure hope so. But then we linger back into the medical bay where the face hugger, you know, squid has finally released the Titan and his chest starts bursting and bursts and out comes a pterodactyl. <laughs> I was like, what? It, I mean, it had the, the xenomorph chest rib cage thing. And the weird the long head. Long head, but the head came to a point. I was like, okay, we got the first queen, but again, how is this getting out to the asteroid? This doesn't line up with anything. I was really expecting it to jump at the camera at nice. the end in 3D. Yeah. No, that would have sealed the deal. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, so that's the end. Credits roll. Oh, no, she has a thing that says, don't come. She sets up radio broadcast to say, don't come here. There's only death. I'm going on to find answers. Um, and that's the end of the movie. And it's a little disappointing. Yeah. I, I think ultimately, like, they had a lot of ideas sort of thrown in there. But the thing about movies is, is that they're not really good at explaining things. Like, if we could explain things with pictures and sounds, we would never have invented language. Like, when you want... The reason we need words is to describe abstract thoughts. Yes. And, and like, higher things. Movies aren't very good at that. Movies are good at telling stories and creating characters that you like or hate or, or whatever. But... Just explaining a thing, explaining a concept, that's not what the medium is for. Like, it's it's fine for, like, agitprop and, you know, like, Michael Moore kind of movies, but Michael Moore movies aren't really... Good. 
The, <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, like, no documentary is really going to explain something to you. It's going to get you, like, interested in something. And then you're like, I'm really fascinated by the way, you know, squids work. Uh, let's, I'm going to go read a book now to actually understand a thing. Like... So you hate movies is what I mean. I, no, no, no. I think movies are great as a storytelling medium, just not for explaining things, which is why I don't like documentaries. Yeah. Documentaries are for illiterate people to feel smart. <laughs> They're not actually good at explaining something. Okay. And uh, and this movie, I think, is sort of a key example of that. Like, it's, This is a documentary. But yeah. it, <laughs> it's cool looking, and it tells something of a story, but like... We, as we discussed it for the last two hours or whatever it's been, we talk about the characters in the story quite a bit. We don't really talk about the themes that they, the filmmakers claim they're trying to get us to think about. We didn't really think about them very much. We were mostly concerned with the story making damn sense and the characters, you know, being smart. They said big things like, where do we come from? The end. Like, that is the theme. Think about it. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's that's about as much as I got out of yeah, the film. Yeah, there was not very deep at all. And again, it's it's insulting to think that, yeah, wow, I've never thought of where do we come from. Gee, thank <laughs> you for putting that idea to think about that in my head. I have thought about all of this and more. Thank you. The end. Uh, speaking of the end, I waited around for a coda. <laughs> there was a freaking logo. There was, if you wait all the way through the credits and everything... There's a Wayland uh, Industries or Wayland, uh, yeah, there's a Wayland Industries logo with the date 10-10-2012. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're going to make, you're, I wait through the credits and you can't even play the video. I have to go Google it or something and find the video. Screw you. So I did not. And yet one of the blogs that I just read anyway had it embedded. So I clicked play and they're like, yeah, if you went and you Googled it. You would go to the Wayland Corporation head site, and it says on its history that it was becomes it goes from a LLC to a conglomerate or something on 10-10-2012. People are guessing that's what the release date for the DVD. I assume, yeah. And it's going to be a big push for this. On that site, there was also a six-second shot of Guy Pierce like straightening his tie, drinking some scotch, and saying one quote, which is, I am a law to men, but I am not a law to all. Which is from a Nietzsche uh, book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. I always mispronounce that. Yeah, and it comes up a lot in my <laughs> conversations. Uh, in which he talks about the Ubermensch or the Nietzsche Superman, which you hear quoted about where if you are smart enough or better than everyone else, laws don't apply to you. Laws are to govern stupid people or the poor and everything like that. If you are smart enough to rationalize away your conscience, you don't have to obey by them because you can perform crimes, per se, uh, and not feel guilty about it because you know you are better than that, and you will do it so well that they can't catch you, essentially. A, that's pretentious crap. Sure. B, B, not only did you want me to Google a damned uh, logo and everything to find a website to play a six-second clip that is the only time I've seen Guy Pierce in this character, <laughs> not in old-age makeup, you then want me to go to Wikipedia to look up the quote that he's mumbling to find out what book it is from, and then I haven't read the damn book, all right? I know the concepts behind it, but then I gotta look at the Wikipedia and go, oh, this is where he talks about Nietzsche Superman. So that means the character thinks he's above all the laws, and that's why he can make robotic life and go look for the meaning of life without any kind of regard for ethics or morals. Which is a weird thing, because that has nothing to do with where do we come from or parent-child relationships or anything like that. Like, that's a... Sure, it's a big idea, 
but it has nothing to do with what the rest of this movie seems to be about. I think uh, it does have a the child-parent thing in that the parent in this case was a dick uh, <laughs> for being the Wayland guy because he didn't care about the kids. He only cared about preserving his own life and finding these things out for himself. He's very selfish. He would burn the, the earth, probably, to find out these answers or prolong his own life. And uh, we see the Titan guy be a dick, you know. So it is kind of a theme, and we just see that he's a gigantic ass, and he set all this in motion. But yeah, it's not like it ties anything together or answers any of those questions they asked. They then uh, released later the TED video you're talking about, where it was TED Conference 2023. and it's Which I can't believe the TED people allowed their logo to be a tie-in for yeah, some it's, movie. Yeah, if, if you haven't heard... Technology, Entertainment, and Design Expo. Yeah. It's an actual convention thing they have each year, which brings together technology, entertainment, and design. And so it's it's suggesting that in the year 2023, this character of Peter Wayland is going to uh, present a, you know, uh, Tony Stark-level speech about what his goals are for the future and spaceflight and funny accent. So <laughs> it's uh, Guy Pierce walking out and saying... You, those who know me know I won't settle for anything than the best. And he proceeds to quote the line from Lawrence of Arabia that David is watching and then quotes himself. He says, when uh, Sir Lawrence of Arabia was putting out a match with his fingers, his friend Mr. Potter says, how do you make it not hurt? And he says, the trick is not minding that it hurts. And then he goes on to quote, I think, the, the Zarathura line again. And I'm like, I saw... One of those in the movie. I saw the other one in the other video you you showed. And then he goes, I'm going to make a robot that will be indistinguishable from life, uh, human. And I'm like, that was also in the movie. <laughs> yeah, you do do that. I feel like I should have seen this TED Talk before the movie started. Yeah. And so they released it like a week after the movie came out. You had to Google it. And the first site was just the clip. And then this one came later. And I'm like, this adds nothing to the storyline. Uh, or the background or the universe. It's just him younger saying quotes I've already heard. <laughs> so he says, I'm going to pursue space and everything and nothing will stop me. And I'm like, that is true. I already saw that part. You do that. <laughs> just so you know. I know I have more information than you. Thank you. So, yeah, it didn't flesh out anything, but it does make me feel like they're going to go a lot more with him in the sequels and they may do a flashback thing where it's all about his motivations. They'll try and tie it in with a parent-child complex and how he didn't care about his kids i don't know so uh not overly necessary the only last thing i have to say about this movie is that it undermines as bad as some of the other alien movies were i'm not counting alien versus predator but you know resurrection even or three did something better than this in that it was about the aliens <laughs> um Again, this was Prometheus of like, oh, the, the progenitor of the start, and it does at least introduce that idea. All those movies, however, have the idea that the alien is valuable. The xenomorph, you know, whatever, is in the first one, the uh, Ian Holm is, gets orders to preserve the alien life, and the crew is expendable. And that's where the problem comes in, is that he's like, oh, i got to preserve this for the company. In the second one, Paul Reiser shows up and again says that. He's like, Do he, I think he says... This is the result of hundreds of years or thousands of years of evolution. It's well, apparently its not. Purest form. It's a killing machine. It's perfect. It's beautiful, right? Yeah, apparently not. It's not thousands of years. It's 200 years of, oh, hey, it happened to breed with this and this, and it's actually whatever 
Heinz 57 cocktail <laughs> you put together this week. Whatever it touches, it kind of... I'm like, that's not perfect at all. And uh, so, again, the other movies kept it like this sacrosanct thing that we have to, like, look at and marvel at, even if it's going to kill you uh, in... I in think resurrection, resurrection, there's the scientist who... Is like a devotee to it. Yeah. And as he's being eaten, he's uh, beatific of, uh, oh, he's just experiencing joy that he gets to be part of its life cycle. And yet, no, this thing's 200 years old, and it just picks up whatever it is. It was some black goo, and then it happened to go with a humanoid eight-foot-tall guy, so that's where it got the rib cage and everything. But otherwise, you know, it's pretty much silly putty. Stick it to whatever, and then it stretches out a little bit. You can make carbon copy of the image, and it's like, that is not the height of interstellar evolution. You've just cheapened the entire thing that is at the core of your franchise. It's you're, it's kind of like the midichlorians in Star Wars. Like, this, you made everything worse yeah. by trying to explain the origin of something. So, overall, it the movie presents some big ideas. It's very pretty. I liked Michael Fassbender's performance. Maybe I'll be interested to see where it goes. And it is interesting that Ridley Scott's like, oh, it's not an alien movie. Because if you'd said it was, it would cheapen them. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I'll watch it. But it felt a lot like a lot of other things. It, it had and not a... all of them good. Like some <laughs> AI. And... It did have a lot of... Uh, it, it did seem like a hodgepodge. But despite all of its flaws, I still liked it. And I still want to see it again. Because the filmmaking part of it, the look of it... The editing, the pacing, the music, the acting, all of those things were good. It's just the story was trying to do too many things, and that's sort of unfortunate. And like you said, in, uh, in gymnastics, it, uh, it gets a few extra points for the degree of difficulty and then failing, so it's not, it, we can't call it a great movie, but it, it tried. So yeah, that counts for that. something. And uh, it wasn't... It wasn't a mess. It was just, I felt like maybe they were trying. They they were counting on having a sequel to explain more, and maybe they thought some things would be obvious that weren't, and so it it it's a mess because it doesn't really make a hell of a lot of sense. But it's enjoyable to watch anyways, and for lack of a better word, interesting. Yeah, it. I enjoyed watching it. There were pretty parts. Um, it does suffer from overreach. And so that was the main complaint I had was that, and that it shot for the stars and it only hit a moon, basically, yeah. and and that is very far from the stars. So you're like, <laughs> good job on that moon thing, consolation prize, but yeah, not the stars. Uh, a few of our listeners had told me they were looking forward to this podcast because they didn't understand the movie at all and they wanted to hear our explanation of it. And uh, we don't have one. So I apologize to all of you out there <laughs> that thought we could make sense of this movie. Yeah. So you can email us at toomuchfilmschool at gmail.com and let us know how disappointed us you are. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Then go into the atmosphere. They there's there's one minor line again. I hate to bring you these up, but it annoys the crap out of me. It's okay. I'll edit this out. <laughs>